Hello and welcome here to the B&B Show. My name is Brandon and this guy right over here to my left, that is Brandon Nelson, Seahawks. Brandon Nelson to you. Brandon, welcome back in the house. We get some fun things to turn over today. How are you doing? 24 hours since a new era began in Seattle. I'm I'm doing pretty good today. Uh, I think it's a good day. We won't know for sure if it was a good day until maybe a couple years down the line. But right now in this moment, I think it's a good day. So I'm feeling pretty good about things. And I think a lot of people out there are also feeling pretty good about it. So um, if, if, if I'm happy and they're happy, then it's a good day. Yeah, it's also nice that in a fan base that a lot of times has some differing of opinion in their outlook of the team and what the team needs or doesn't need or this and that, that this seems to be a, a consensus uh, good choice by everybody's measure. Even if it wasn't their number one choice, it's a choice people seem to say, okay, then I get it. I do get it though. Even if I want, I wanted this guy, but I get this. You know, I had this, this was my dog, but this, mm-hmm. this, this, this adds up. This makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I've kind of seen the same thing. Very few people are actually down on this hire. There are a few. There were always going to be a few, by the way. But yeah. it's pre- as good, about as good as it gets. And so I guess that then is my first question I was going to lead off the top with you. You just kind of answered there, which is you, you have the hiring happen initially in the first moment. You're emotionally feeling a certain way about it. But then, uh, you know, 24 hours, it, you know, sometimes can hit a little bit differently. Do you find yourself 24 hours later with it, you know, in that way and, and doing that? Mm-hmm. Well, the way that it kind of broke was that um, the night before, so it would have been Tuesday night, it seemed like this was the way it was headed, right? Because you had the uh, report from the uh, um, several official sources like uh, Pilisaro and Rappaport that it looked like this was going to happen, and then it happened. So you kind of had that opportunity to prepare yourself for it before it actually hit. Mm-hmm. But um, I find myself kind of in the same place. I find myself kind of thinking that um, the um, the hire is one of the best hires we could have made. It seems like it was the guy that we wanted from the start, the way Schneider's talking now. Maybe they would say that no matter what. But um, I, um, I I find myself not shifting too far from where I was when the news first broke. I I, I, I feel very positive about the way this can go. Yeah, I do as well. I think that they've... Uh... I still find myself even more reinforced. And certainly today's press conference, I think, uh, at least from my perspective, we'll see where you think with this, but it only served to more feel go nod and go, yeah, I, I do like this. Uh, you would expect them to probably say, well, this was the guy we kind of want all the way. I think even Schneider did talk a little bit today, though, about saying we were hoping for both Detroit and Baltimore to lose in the playoffs. So there right. was a little bit of an, uh, yeah, we were looking at Ben here too. But uh, I do think that this is the one that he landed on. We're hearing that maybe Ben's interviews didn't go as as great. And that's some of what's kind of coming out in the kerfuffle right now about Johnson mm-hmm. and some of those interviews. And so uh, I, I thought he had a really strong opening press conference. You know, you remember the uh, Nick Sirianni one a couple of years ago, Brendan, with him talking about wow, flowering plants and watering plants. Mm-hmm. And remember that his whole mm-hmm. like, what, where is this guy's head at? Uh, was not that today. You had a guy that was on buttoned up on on point and delivered his message, and you can see how he resonates with players. Uh yeah. So I um I feel pretty. Uh, I uh I was impressed with the uh, press conference earlier today. I didn't get to watch it live because I was a uh, I was um, um you know resting because I had a little bit of a headache. But I did watch it a little bit later, 
And I uh, I came away feeling really good about it. I don't know how anybody could feel negative about that press conference. He didn't give away too much. He didn't talk about, like when they asked him about offensive coordinator, he didn't give up any names. When um, uh, he was asked about defense, I don't think he gave up a name for defensive coordinator either. So there are still some specifics that we're waiting on here. But yeah. um, as far as pre- initial press conferences go, that's uh, you can't really say too much about it. No, I, I thought though he did give you some nuggets. I mean, for instance, you know, he could have said, we're going to run the ball and we're going to protect our defense and we're going to control the clock and the time of possession. And instead, it he seemed to be leading a little bit with an approach of saying, offensively, I'm going to drive a little bit like I drive with the defense, where it's about growth and it's about being willing to do kind of everything, being versatile, um, not being kind of caged up to one sort of philosophy or approach to what you need to do, where you would have expected sometimes, I'm sure if we've gone through a lot of defensives, hired head coaches, I'm sure a lot of what we would have heard at that time in their first introductory presser would have been run the ball and we're going to be running the ball. And that's what we're going to, you know, and he didn't, he specifically had some opportunities to step into that particular hole and and didn't necessarily do it in my opinion, which uh-huh. you know, with the grub rumors, especially that kind of goes in tandem with that. It does seem to lead you to believe that gets me a little more excited here, Brenda, that he's not going to look to do the boring defensive minded hire here, that there actually might be something a little bit more exciting going on here. Yeah, yeah. He did say that we want to be a physical football team, I think, when asked about the offense, which um, that could be implied to take, you know, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. Hmm. I think we've uh, learned that in recent NFL times. I think it just means an investment in the offensive line, which a lot of people are going to be excited about if that ends up being what we do. Hmm. So um, that was one thing that I took away from that. Um, the, he, he did say that he was going to handle defensive play calling which uh, was definitely interesting to me because I was wondering about that, which obviously is fine for now. But I will say this. I um, I hope that down the line he's able to find a defensive coordinator that he trusts enough to allow to do play calling because I want him to be able to focus on his responsibilities as head coach. But uh, for now, it's obviously fine and probably what we were expecting to do anyway. And he did say that that's his intention in the presser was that while he's going to call the plays initially, it's until he can get somebody brought along who he's got of the same mindset and who will understand how he wants the play calls to you know come out and be sequenced and put together. So to your point, it seems like that is his long-term goal and this is not to be the Andy Reid for the next 30 years on the defensive side of the ball, but to offload that eventually. And you know, my opinion on it is that, look, if there's so many offensive guys that can do this, Brendan, why can't a defensive guy do it? Why are they so so much more impeded versus the offensive guys, and and then how they're able to get it done, and guys that are very successful getting it done, um, including our own Mike Holmgren, who got us to a Super Bowl call and play. So, um, right. yeah, I'm just uh, I'm not necessarily scared off on that, but I I think that that's okay if he's got to do it initially out there. Were there any other uh, tidbits in the conference that you took away that were of interest to you? Um, well, he was asked about the offensive coordinator. I think one thing he said that kind of surprised me that he was this particular on it. Experience calling plays is not something that he's prioritizing, I believe is the way he put it, when mm-hmm. trying to find an offensive coordinator, which, I mean, obviously that doesn't preclude him getting somebody who has called plays before, but I do find it to be pretty interesting that um, he would, he would uh, say something like that. And given the fact that he's a defensive first guy, you'd think you would value play calling experience. Um, I, 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 I still kind of am sitting here hoping we end up with somebody who has done that before, like a Frank Reich or a uh, Frank Smith or a, uh, you know, they're talking about Ryan Grubb now. That would be certainly interesting. You but like that that did, um, I don't like it as much as Frank Reich, but 
I am intrigued by it for sure. I am going to, at the very least, um, see the upside if it happens. But what has um, you? What has you down on it versus Frank Reich? Uh, well, Frank Reich has experience play calling in the NFL successfully. For one, um, he's not going to get poached as a head coach ever again. I don't think so. If you get him and he's good, you've got him for as long as you want him. Mm-hmm. And also, when he was at UW, I mean, obviously he did a phenomenal job. I kind of felt like he was um, the the play designs were better than the play calling for me. Like the play calling was mostly good, but there were definitely some games where I was like, "Why are we committed to running the ball up the middle so much? Like, why is this so uncreative?" And then by the second or third quarter, usually he'd get it right. But I thought the play designs were always superior to the play calling. So I'm a little, I, I don't like it as much as Reich or Frank Smith even. Fair points all around. Yeah, no fair points all around. Um, I do like the the thought process of just the idea of Grub as much as Grub himself. I like the idea that you aren't necessarily needing to go get a guy that gets plays. I think those are some safety in that and a guy that's done it before. But I also think that this is a little bit of a an extension of who he is, right? Like when it comes to him as a coach, he talks about, you know, we're constantly building this thing. It's about constant growth. It's not about I've got hard, tried and true rules of how things are done this and done there. But yet I'm open to different pathways to find that point of success or to find effectiveness. And that seems like whether it comes to him talking about his defense or his offense or his outlook on where the team is and where they, you know, he seems to have a little bit of that openness to the whole process. And um, which just makes me feel like he's much more likely to land than the right guy when he's not fixed to a certain, you know, check this box, check that box, check that box, check that box, you know. As opposed to, let me, it's like with this hiring search, you know, if we had the check boxes of it's got to be an offensive minded head coach, you know, you don't get to McDonald's, you know, just it's a get to the, to the best and the right choice. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. Um, So do you have a, do you have a horse in the fight as far as the offensive minded head or not just the, the offensive coordinator uh, in the next hire right now? Is there, I mean, you mentioned, I guess, Reich is the guy you sort of did mention is your guy. Is, is that for you of the available candidates out there and what he could do? You think the best approach here? Um, well, I do think, I do think that offensive head coaches are better in the modern NFL. It just for multiple reasons, it's better to have an offensive minded head coach. The last 10 coaches to coach in the Super Bowl have been offensive minded. And there's clear benefits to having somebody to guide your um, guide your um, quarterback and your offense consistently rather than having to swap a guy out every couple of years, which will happen if the guy is good in all likelihood. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you have to do it. And we as a team were at a point where. If we were going to do that, if we were going to get an offensive head coach, we were going to have to settle for somebody way down the list, right? Like, 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 uh, I think the only real candidate left who was an offensive minded head coach was Kafka. And Mm -hmm. I think if we were sitting here, I actually like Kafka more than most people out there, but I wouldn't have been able to get excited about that. And I guarantee you people would not be a bit as excited about Kafka as they are right now about McDonald's. So at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, it's not just you need an offensive-minded head coach. You also need a good offensive-minded head coach, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, a good defensive first head coach is still better than a bad offensive-minded head coach or an offensive-minded head coach who's not ready. And that could very easily be what 
a guy like Kafka would have been. Now, there's no guarantee that McDonald's ready either, but the resume is clearly better. The resume is clearly more established. Um, and I, I think that um, I don't want to get too lost into this idea of we had to do an offensive first head coach. I wanted to, but at the same time, it seemed like it wasn't in the cards. Once uh, Ben Johnson took himself off the market or somebody or or he was taken off the market forcibly, whatever happened there, I don't know. Um, there, there just really wasn't that home run offensive minded hire that we could have made. So I, I'm not going to uh, stress about that too much. I'm not either. I, I think if I was making a betting guess on Ben Johnson, I'd say he, um, didn't do well in the interview slash then also asked for the money. I don't think that the money in itself would have been a deal breaker. You're going to pay McDonald a lot of money on the six year deal you're giving him. I think though, asking for the money and then not knocking the interview out of the park was probably the combination that just, you know, put that, put that to rest. I'm not buying into a guy who's got a head coaching opportunity in this league. And he's like, nah, I'm going to go back and be a coordinator again. It, it's happened, but it's very rare. And uh, I, I don't see in this situation that being the way that it could be wrong, but it just doesn't feel like that's how it played out. I've got a theory for you and see if you buy into it a little bit in this hiring. And this is a definitely a guess and a shot in the dark, but I was thinking about this a bit today and I, I think that there's maybe something to it and, don't answer this question first. Let me put my point to it, but let me pose the question to you so you can kind of think of it as I'm bringing this up. And that is, you know, are we maybe do at a point for the defense to find a corner turn here? And if if you track back to the start of football, I'll do this really quickly. Start of football occurs and you got the defense here, Brendan, right? And the offense is here. No forward pass, wing T, running the ball. It's behind the defense, okay? okay. And you've got like, 40s, 50s, 60s, the defense is ahead of the offense. Offense does what it can. And you start to get to the 80s, and the offense is starting with Bill Walsh and that to kind of catch up to the defense. And you get into you get into kind of the 90s, and now the offense is starting to mid-middle mid, of the 90s. It's starting to extend past defenses as far as, you know, offensive coaches being hired, their effectiveness, the rules being slanted their way. You get into the early 2000s, and we really see kind of a, especially last 10 years, it feels like a real extension. But then we look at this past year, Brendan. Points were down. Third down effectiveness was down. Defenses for the first time in like a 10-year period started to take a little bit of a step back and grab a little bit of that power back, it felt like. Just a little bit, maybe a motochrome. Is there a chance here that maybe you're finding a guy that's a, a potential of a, a centerpiece defensive mind that we'll see as a, a new groundswell coming up from those ranks where now the defense starts to gain back on the offense. The offense hasn't always been ahead of the defense. It didn't start out football day one. Offense was way out here defense here. It's been a it's been a bit of a back and forth process just a little bit. And maybe the defenses do. You buying any of that? Doesn't seem to me that the NFL really wants that to happen, right? With all the rule changes they've made over the last 20 years trying to make it easier for offense. Like I could see that from year to year, there's going to be a little bit of variance bouncing things back to the defense. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's ever going to be so big and so emphatic that it's actually going to put the defense ahead of the offense. I'm not sure about that. The NFL, it, it seems to me that if that happened, the NFL would come up with some rule change to push it back the other way, because in their mind, they, they want Super Bowls like the Super Bowl we had last year, where nobody played any defense. I think it's a valid point to say that the, the NFL is definitely going to push to the offensive side of the ball. The question I'd though then say with that is that do you really feel like though the defense has been pushing itself forward with its own philosophies in the same manner of evolving that the offensive side of the ball has? We've watched 
pre and post app motion, for instance, be built into offenses the last 10 years and it's flipped on its face and its usage. It's gone from like 20% to 60, 65, 70% usage with offenses. Haven't the defenses kind of remained more in a bit of a stagnant position in their philosophies and their approach over these past 25, 30 years? I mean, you still have cover two Tampa Bay two defenses being run out there, basically. You still have cover three being still tried to be proliferated in a lot of places. I, you know, I, that's what it feels like to me a bit here where I, yeah, the rule thing is, is completely on point, but the defense to me has also been kind of dropping the ball and there. It's like, you have offenses got all these guys that are like have Oppenheimers in the room trying to figure out how to build their next nuclear bomb. And we got defensive guys in there trying to still like work off a of dynamite. And I just feel like that that's, there's a room here for somebody to push this ball a little bit more forward. And this is the type of guy that would be the candidate to me to be that kind of guy to do that in that he's not held to a certain approach in his methodology and that he's willing to grow. He's willing to adapt. He's willing to continue to build on what he already knows. And, and uh, it's like we talked about today in this presser. It's like this started out as kind of the Rex Ryan's defense back in the day. And it's molded up through Wink Martindale and it's gone through him and he's taken to the college level and it, it continues to, you know, evolve as a process. I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it's probably this guy, right? This guy who's been dismantling these Shanahan offenses and to a lesser extent, McVeigh offenses and did pretty much, I think, everything he could against uh, the Andy Reid Mahomes offense last week. Um, I, I don't think you're going to hold the best quarterback in the league to zero points and, you know, 100 yards the whole day. That's not happening. But no, um, I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it's probably him, right? It, mm -hmm. He seems to be that guy who could be on the cutting edge here. I, I just don't know if the NFL is ever going to allow it to get to the point where defense is actually ahead of offense and we start seeing every game be like 17-14 again. I don't know if we're going to get there. I'm not saying but, it gets to that. I don't think it gets to that point. I'm talking, but I am talking about being for where the wherever the, the tide finds itself in the current given period as far as scoring goes, that you find your guy with a tide setter on that. As mm -hmm. in his approach. That's what I'm saying. The tide may be in a modern age where like, let's say to your point, Brendan, 20 years ago, 15 points a game held, led the league in point scoring. Now it's 20 points. You give up a game will eventually lead the points in scoring, right? Like, so mm -hmm. generalized points are up, but you're still dominant at the given age that you find yourself residing within. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is the guy who could do that. I, I, I can't think of any other like defensive masterminds on this level. Like the, Aviro's not on that level, right? Like Aviro's good, mm -hmm. but if he gets a head coaching job in the next year or two, I'm not going to look at him as being the guy who's going to solve this. Um, I'm uh, certainly not like a Patrick Graham, uh, certainly not a Raheem Morris. It's, it's this guy. This is the guy who's either going to do it or nobody's going to do it. You feel like. I do. Uh, and I don't think those guys would either. I think Evero's run more of a, he's just run Fangio scheme right. But he's, he's again, more of a, as good as Evero is, more emblematic of that guy who's just running more of that same that's always been run. Doing it the same way defensively, it's always been kind of done with some very slight alterations. And what I think is called for now on this defensive side of the ball is for them to start to look at what they're doing offensively and go, hey, we got to start doing that stuff. We got to start mixing it up in that way. We can't just sit here and be like, we line it up how we line it up and here we go. And uh, I think he does maybe provide us a pathway there that that's where the upside to this move. What I want to talk about here within this, Brennan, on my point on this, I long way around on this is that the upside of McDonald is huge. There's a bust factor to this. It now go from having the oldest coach in the league to the youngest coach in the league. No doubt. First time head coaches burn out at a very high, high fail rate, but 
He's got a huge boom factor to him as well on the other side, but it's just my kind of point on that. And that's the part that really does get me excited. We didn't go for the easy Quinn option. And to me, Brendan, I think you'd agree with this. You know, Washington's taking Quinn as a consolation prize. You know, mm -hmm. they wanted the trip to Cabo. They're getting the steak knives. You know, mm -hmm. that's how I feel. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the stink of Dan Schneider is still over there, apparently. Oh. They it's I, I was also relating to them like it's it's like you know the ownership's taken over and they've been it's like they've inherited a house from a relative and many of you've had relatives like this where they didn't do anything on their back or front yard it's a mess they've had parties they're hoarders in their house you know washington's just barely like started to clean up the backyard you know they barely like clearing the kegs out and the plastic cups they haven't even gotten to the inside of the house yet yeah, it's, uh, it, it's uh, I mean, the new owners, I think, are going to be good. I'll say that. But the facilities are still garbage. The stadium is garbage. Um, they, they, they do have a lot of flexibility with that roster because they have all that cap room and they have the number two pick. But um, I, I, uh, I was surprised they had to settle for Dan Quinn the way that they did. Um, I, uh, I didn't think the stench of Dan Schneider was still going to uh, pollute them to that degree because... Uh, I don't know what kind of contract Dan Quinn's going to get, but I'm assuming it's going to be a five-year one at least. I would think at least five years. Yeah, I would. And I'm surprised about it as well. I thought that new ownership and being a major market, that that would be a driver for some uh, coach, but it just didn't. This was a weird, this was just kind of a weird coaching search for all the teams this off season though, wasn't it? It just kind of was a bit of a peculiar one. I don't, I, I don't know. It just didn't feel as straightforward as it's been in the past. Could have been the whole NFL coming down with their mandates and forcing teams to slow roll it, but it was a little bit different than it's been in years past to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's, um. well, let's get to, and we'll be definitely doing a show in the next show, folks on this one in regards to a bit of the cap cut situation outlook on this off season. This gives us a lot more clarity, um, Brendan, now that we have a coach on who will maybe go and who won't go. And certainly not knowing who the OC is, especially for the offensive side of the ball, this makes it a little bit harder on predicting this, but let's do, let's start out with first, who are the players that most benefit from McDonald's higher on this roster, in your opinion? Um, well, the obvious one would be Mike Morris, right? Because they've actually been together before. Mm -hmm. uh, they were together at the 2021 Wolverines. And, I mean, Mike Morris is a guy who has nowhere to go but up because he basically didn't play last year. So uh, that that's certainly a big one. Uh, if you're talking about guys that are already high profile, there's obviously uh, Witherspoon. There's some very exciting things that I think he can do with Witherspoon. Some of the stuff you saw with Kyle Hamilton this last year was probably going to translate over very well. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that the likelihood of Jordan Brooks sticking around probably just went up. And I do think the odds of him being a better player under somebody like a Mike McDonald is pretty good. So I am aware of the fact that the odds of us keeping a player like that around is definitely, uh, I think, I think Ray, some people would say we're going to get Patrick Queen. I don't know if Baltimore is going to let him out. Like they can franchise tag him. They can uh, um, probably offer him some stuff that we can't because we don't have a ton of cap room. So those would be some of the guys that kind of stand out to me. Um, I think Draymond probably benefits from this because um, if, if, Mike McDonald was able to work with uh, guys like Jadavion Clowney and Kyle Van Noy to the degree that he did in Baltimore. I think he can find a way to work with Draymond Jones better than what Carroll and Clint Hurt were doing. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think there's quite a bit of stuff on this defense that benefits from this because that's kind of the big draw of uh, McDonald, right? He didn't have 
blue chippers all over his defense, right? He didn't have like 10 all pros. He didn't have a bunch of future Hall of Famers. He made it yeah. work with guys like Geno Stone, who was a nobody before this year, I think. Uh, Clowney, who was, who's been a journeyman for like five years. So I think a lot of people benefit from this on defense. Even at just a Matabuki, he's taken three years to get to where he's gotten to as a player this year in his breakout season. You know, it took a bit of time to get him there. He didn't just burst on the scene that way, and he was that good. I um. So when it comes to the Queen-Brooks debate, we have Brooks with the higher injuries history, likely to probably get a contract between 10 to $12 million per year. Um, Baltimore's got the Lamar Jackson contract kicking in. And they've got to make some decisions themselves. I don't know if they're necessarily – let's also remember this, Brendan. They paid Roquan Smith. So with the money they're paying Lamar and the money they're paying other places, they've got Roquan at over $20 million. Are they going to really want to get up and pony up $17 million a year for Queen at that point on top of that? I don't think they will, nor do I think they're going to have the ability to pull the franchise tag. So let's just pull this away for a second. If it comes down to Jordan Brooks and Queen on the same number of years a deal – and you get Brooks at twelve million, or you can go get Queen at seventeen million. You would rather go with Brooks. Um, if it was up to me, I think I would probably go with Brooks. I I, I don't want to. That that's not a market setting contract for Queen, but it's close. I'd rather save the money, and I think that Brooks is still a very talented player that. McDonald could do much better with than the previous regime did. I would go with Brooks in that exact circumstance, I think. Um, okay. Now, I want to be clear. Whatever McDonald wants here, we should do everything we can to accommodate him. If he says, bring me Patrick Queen, I don't care if it costs 20 mil a year, then I think you got to go with it. If he wants to bring back Brooks for 14 mil a year, then uh, I'll go with that too. You got to give him a chance to succeed or fail in his own terms. I'm good with it. But if it's up to me, I'm going to save the uh, 50, the five mil on on Brooks. Fair enough. I think those are all good points. I, I lean the other way with it, where I, I think there's a substantial difference between those two guys in coverage. And I don't think Brooks is a remarkably enough better as a tackler or, or how he gets off blocks um, to have earned that way to earn this contract. I feel like he's he's give, he's being given $12 million without ever even giving you one league average season really from the position. <laughs> Um, overall, when you take into account his deficiencies in the game, in the coverage and how many yards he does still give up, he did a little bit better this year, but still, you know, 2,300 yards in four years in this league is a lot of yards for a linebacker to give up. Yeah. Um, now some of that, like you say, though, is also back to the scheme and cause some of this could be improved by coaching in a new scheme and yeah. maybe he finds a more man base, you know, so there's some of that, but there's a lot of zones still in McDonald's schemes. You still need guys that can do that. Uh, how about, how about Julian Love? Mm. That's a good one, yeah. I mean, Julian Love's a versatile player just in general, right? He can play both safety spots. He can play a little bit in the box. He can play a little bit slot corner. Even outside corner, he did a little bit. So realistically, whatever you did, Julian Love has a chance to fit in. So I, I think he's going to benefit from this as well, and his versatility is going to help him when we uh, throw some of the stuff we throw at um, the defense because uh, I think one of the key tenets of this defense is – yeah, they're only going to be sending four guys to pressure the quarterback, but which four guys is it going to be? Mm -hmm. that, that's kind of the key here. They're going to show you things pre-snap that are not what they actually do post-snap. That's going to be one of the key tenets here. And a guy like Julian Love, I think, has a chance to fit in really well, given that he had his career year under Wink Martindale in New York. Who was, of course, the coach above 
Mike McDonald when he was with the Ravens. Right. So um, yeah, you've got, you think there's a little bit, he might be the most player that's most understanding the, the terms coming in the the room love. And right. when Mike McDonald's, you know, getting all the terminology out, I was like, yeah, I know what that is. I know what that is. I know what that is. So uh, I think it was a big part to keep in, uh, you know, him here. Um, offensively, it does get hard to predict. I think offensively, we pretty much know pretty straightforward as to what's being kept and what's being left. I, I, I think, you know, it's a little bit, you know, but overall, is there any players that didn't benefit from Mike McDonald coming here that this puts you now on the a square path to probably chopping block city? Uh, to my recollection during the press conference, he spoke about high character. Mm-hmm. So I wonder about, I mean, this, it sounds like this guy is going to make the decision for us, but you know, you have Adams who kind of ended up in the, uh, he, in the uh, firing in in the firing line a little bit last year for some of the things that he was doing off the field. Um, Now, again, it's starting to look like Adams is just going to retire and make the uh, decision for us with some of the Mm -hmm. way he's been posting on Insta. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but uh, there's something going on. I I've taken it that John's a guy that does tend to be a pretty head on straightforward guy with the players and that he's not going to like, he's not going to have the Super Bowl end in on Monday get up and then announce that Jamal's a post June 1st designation cut, right? He'll have laid the tracks down with Jamal already before the train comes over saying, Jamal, this is where this is going to have to go. And um, while I do agree with you to a certain degree on the McDonald stuff is having to give him some, some of that ability to do stuff. I do also think John's got to affirm his role as the general manager here on certain decisions and, and be able to be that guy now in this role for the first time to truly be able to guide this bus. Because that's also a part of this process is John not having a coach wholly leading him around by the nose, you know, as far as where he's got to go everywhere. But also mm-hmm. for him to be the guy to come and say, this is a place where I've known in the past to say this shouldn't have happened and I couldn't do it. Now where I got to do it. And I think when it comes to Jamal, that's one of those ones where you look at the risk. You look at the, if it was a stock, Brendan, you know, if you're, if you're somebody sitting in front of you, hey, you want this stock? Here's, here's the fundamentals on it. I don't think you're looking at those fundamentals saying I'm signing up for that stock next year at that price. I don't. And and I think that if that's the bottom line, you, you, you've got to move on from Jamal. I think the conversation has gone on between him and John already. And that's why Jamal is probably posting this is he's also probably heard enough scuttlebutt around the league that there's not really much of a market for you anymore. My guy, you, you are reduced as a player and the, the game's going away from Jamal Adams' skill set, the box safety that you can't trust in cover two or single high. Those days are Dunsky. And, and I, I feel like, people are asking me like, well, he'll get the most out of Jamal. He'll, he'll make Jamal the ad Hamilton role. And I'm actually encouraged here. You say Devin, cause that's way more of a chance of you doing that right. than you doing the Jamal. Ham- There's not, you couldn't talk about two more different players than Hamilton and Adams, as far mm-hmm. as what they bring to the table and who they are. And, um, uh, you know, there's some similarities, I guess, between the two, but Hamilton is just so much of a better, fully well-rounded player. And, um, this defense, you're going to need your strong safety to do free safety stuff. And Jamal can't even do strong safety stuff in a cover two situation. Look, so yeah. Yeah, and, and I've gotten some comments, people theorizing that the reason why Pete got fired was because he went into that meeting with Jody, started talking about all of his plans on how he was going to use Jamal better next year. And Jody was just like, uh, we're, we're not bringing Adams back next year. I hope he realized that. And he's like, no, 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 no. We can we can do this. We, if we do it like this, we do it. And then she's OK, you're done. A lot of people actually think that was the crux of why things flipped in that meeting the way that it, it makes- probably did. It makes sense, especially if you tandem it with the fact that he was probably reticent to not want to let go of his coordinators too, right? Yeah, right. So um, I would say Diggs is probably in more trouble than he was before. Pete was probably his number one fan in the building. I think that's fair to say. 
and uh, safety that is that one dimensional is probably not going to work well here, if I had to guess. Yeah, I, I'm anticipating Kawandre as well with it, where he did some more box stuff as the year went along. The last couple of games of the year, they actually had him down near the line of scrimmage at times, but not overall, of course, during his time here. And he's probably at this point, if he's still even as well suited in the league at this point, best suited as the as the single high kind of safety type guy. Um, what Where does this leave Bobby Wagner? That one's tough. I don't know. I mean, he is a free agent, so we will have to make an effort to actually bring him back. So that's another guy who Pete was probably Wagner's biggest fan, right? Pete was probably the reason why you were going to bring him back if there was a reason to. Hmm. Um, That's hard, man. I kind of feel like we might have to because we just don't have linebackers. And we might say, let's keep our leader around here. He's not going to cost that much money, by the way. I think he would probably take like five mil for one year. I don't think it's about the money to him anymore. Great. But it would not shock me if he was just like, I, I, I can't use a linebacker who's that slow, right? I can't use Wagner in his current state that well. And why would I jump through schematic hoops to accommodate Bobby Wagner when I can just go get my own guy? Yeah. Yeah, especially when there's in the draft, there's some good athletic linebackers in this draft that might fit to that mold and what he's looking for, to your point. Um, but I think, like you say, the fact that Bobby comes back at a lesser cost, you know what you're getting. You get leader in the locker room. McDonald was with Baltimore when they had uh, an older Clayus Campbell there who was still effective and maybe not the player he once formerly was. But I'm listening to Mike McDonald talk at that time, brought in at the end of the building when he, he was as the D.C. and Clayus was still there until he moved on to Atlanta last year. Uh, he talked about Clayus being just such a good leader in that locker room and so helpful to the coaches as well as the players. Um, and I, I wonder if not, maybe you would want, you would lean into that a little bit if you're McDonald coming into here and where there's a, a lot of this that adds up to making sense to bring in Bobby back because of that. Uh, it just goes beyond necessarily pure field stuff, but as well too, Brendan, he's going to use him in a better way than Carroll used him last year, right? You're going to see him more around how he was used like with the Rams than more of how he was used this last year. Less of spot dropping 20 yards into space and picking up the curling outside X receiver across the football field at a full speed as he's crossing you over the middle of the field. I don't think you're going to be doing as much of that to Bobby in this, uh, in this defense. Yeah, but um, I'm, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm ready for either it to go either way on the Bobby front. I, I think it could go either way. And if he is brought back, I think he'll be used much better than uh, Carol and Hurt were using him. So that's good. And um, again, we have a massive hole at linebacker. And even if you draft one and even if you sign one and like you still are going to need some help there. Um, I, uh, I, I feel like that could go one way or the other. And that's what this would be one of the spots when you talk about giving him the decision McDonald on this one, Brendan, I would give him on that one, the complete oh, yeah. decision on that one. That's, mm -hmm. that's complete. The, the Adams one, if I'm Schneider, I'm coming in being like, look, uh, you, this is my call. Mm -hmm. But on that one, I'd say, you know, you can make the call on this one coach. You know, this is the one where I, if you want him, we'll understand he's not going to cost a lot. Let's do it. And if not, I, I get it as well. Completely makes a lot of sense. Uh, Silas McDonald. Thank you for the $2 donation. He says, if Justin Matabuke isn't tagged, would you all want him? I, I I would definitely have a discussion about it. I would definitely be open to it. A uh, really good player. Had a lot of success uh, this last year. Probably going to get paid a lot, though. And, um, I mean, look, it, uh, maybe, maybe you want to go to McDonald and, and say, um, you got to find the next Justin Matabuke. Because Matabuke wasn't a blue chip or anything when he came in, right? 
like a third roundish guy. He was toolsy yeah. third round guy that you weren't, you know, that was about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, part of the reason why you bring in McDonald, I think, is because you think you can get great results from your defense without having massive investments on that side of the ball, uh, where you don't need to put together the next Legion of Boom with like five Hall of Famers all playing together at once in their prime. Um, so th this goes for a lot of the guys who are going to be leaving Baltimore this offseason. Patrick Queen and Justin Matabuke, but you also have guys like uh, Geno Stone. Um, you you have some other guys as well that are a little bit on the lower level. Like Let's if go, they're going to cost a me, ton of money. Give me your five rank. I'm going to give you five guys, okay? You got Matabuke, Clowney, Patrick Queen, Geno Stone. Mm-hmm. Let's go with those. That's that's a good four. Let's go with just those four. There might be a tier three guy that they might look to get, but give me those four in the rankings of, um, and and take into cost. Take cost into consideration. So you have to take that in. Let's just say Matabuke doesn't get tagged. Let's just say that like the Ravens, you know, crazy town, let him walk um, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my number one would be Clowney. I don't think he's going to cost that much, and it's probably going to be a short term deal because he's older. Okay. Yeah, and I like it. I, I love Clowney. I love you Clowney know? too. I do too, man. He's awesome. Yeah, that's one of those guys that I have an irrational like for that a lot of yeah. Seahawks fans don't have, and I can't totally defend it. Right? It's just like I just like him. Leave me alone. Yeah, well, I totally have a dog in the fight because I've I, I've uh, hung with the guy at least online playing, so I'm completely like, yeah, I'm I'm all in on Clowney. Definitely bring him back in. I like him. I love uh, him as a player too. Mm -hmm. uh, number two would be Matabuke because we need defensive linemen. And he's good. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he's going to cost like, I don't think he's going to be like Quentin Williams money. I, I don't see that. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be crippling. Number three would probably be Queen. He's playing a devalued position, off-ball linebacker. Like, I feel like you can probably find a guy. Like, like um, uh, you know, you could keep Brooks for less money. You could draft Junior Colson, who, by the way, uh, a McDonald coached at Michigan. And mm -hmm. spend a lot less money. And I like Junior Colson a lot. He's one of my favorites. You know he's mine too. Mm -hmm. But that would be third. And I, I don't want to spend big money on safety <laughs> right now. So I'm going Geno Stone fourth. And by the way, Geno Stone, Stone could be a one-hit wonder. Be good. But and I, you're spending I, just the fact, even whether he wasn't a one-hit wonder, even if he was just simply you're paying this money to the safety position now. I think we've got to have learned our lesson on this one. You know, and we're already going to still be investing, even if we move off of Quandary Diggs and Jamal we're still going to be having a lot of money invested and tied up into that safety position. You know, we're just their dead money on the books. So I, I I'm with you on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else on that defense, there's like Rocky sin is a free agent. Uh, there's um, Van Noy, but he's like really old. He's old, old. He is possible though. That's a, yeah. that's a tier three kind of guy that he might bring in that he'd like as a vet that he just knows what he's getting with. Hmm. There are a couple other guys as well. I actually made a video about this not too long ago, but um, most of the other guys were very low profile. Yeah. Dar oh, Ronald Darby was also, okay. but he's been around a while. He's he's a veteran. Yeah, he's getting old too. I, I would probably like your list. I'd probably flip the Matabuke queen um, because when I look at our three tech right now, I'm anticipating we're going to re-sign Leonard Williams. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to get Matabuke at 19 million or 18 million, and I'm going to get on a four-year deal and I get Leonard Williams on a three-year deal at, 12 million, 13 million. I don't know where he's going to land, but I I'll take 
Leonard Williams at that point on, on the other end of it. Um, the other thing with it too is at that point, if you do have Leonard Williams, there's no chance of Matabuki because you got Leonard, Draymond Jones, Mike Morris is coming back. True. I mean, you're already three three deep at the three tech. It's more of the one tech nose tackle we need right now than anything else. Um, that's a good point. It. That's a, that's actually a pretty good point. Mm-hmm. I'm not I, I'm not convinced Leonard Williams is going to be 13 mil. By the way, I think he's going to be a little more than that. But the point stands. I think we're keeping that's Leonard cool. Williams. So that's actually that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree. It's not. I'm probably getting, it's going to be more like 15 or 16. But kind of hope we get a discount. <laughs> Thank you, Silas. I appreciate the donation. Great question, man. Um, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. Guys, let me be let me be a Jamal Adams advocate. Only Mark Rogers would be so bold. <laughs> Not a lot of Jamal Adams a- advocates out there uh, anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say I'll say this. I think most of what has happened with Adams is not his fault. Most of it is just no. his body fell apart. There's yeah. no animosity here, really. No, I, um, I feel the same way. It just is what it is. Yeah. It's it's a sad thing. It's not on him with it, but you know, you it can be sad. Then the reality still is the reality of it, which is just he's not the same player he once was, and the game's moving past him, and it's not going to trend back in the other direction anytime soon, unfortunately. And that's tough. I know it's hard, but it's also kind of the nature of the sport a bit. A lot of guys yeah. had to go through that. Thank you though, Garth. And glad to hear there's at least one more one remaining out there. There's one left that does exist. <laughs> Uh, Michael Mathis, thank you for the five dollar donation. It says, do you think? Do we think Derek Hall and or Mike Morris can be meaningfully good players under Mac Mike McDonald, even behind Nwosu and Mafe? I um I, I think that this signing is great for both of those players. I mean, Hall has nowhere to go but up, right? Hall has nowhere to go but up, no matter what we did. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a great signing for him. Look at what um look at the success that mcdonald had with edge rushers that are not considered anywhere near blue chippers in uh baltimore um the the fact that they i think led the league in sacks this year with that that collection of pass rushers is kind of remarkable he doesn't have miles garrett he doesn't have tj watt so Derek hall i think this is great for him especially if we can keep bt jordan on the staff which uh i I know we're keeping carl scott so there are going to be a couple guys that linger over from the carroll regime and Morris, this is this is great for Morris. This is a big one for Morris because uh, um, there's familiarity with there from Mike McDonald. And um, in general, I think we both like Mc, uh, Morris. Now, I think Morris is going to stay on the defensive line because that's mm-hmm. what we need. We don't really need edges, especially if you bring in a guy like Clowney. Yeah. But either way, I think he'll be a meaningful player for us for sure. Yeah, they showed the video of Mike uh, McDonald going through and the players being there, and he caught Mike Morris, and he, like, bear-hugged up Mike Morris. And he's like, I know you. And he's like, we're going to do some exciting things. So he, he, his eyes, Mike McDonald's eyes lit up when he saw Mike Morris in the room uh, when he was going through, kind of hugging, looking at the players, kind of walking through a little bit. So I certainly think he's going to like Mike Morris and like what Mike brings, and I agree with you. I think that he's kicking and staying. Mike Morris is staying inside. It's a weird NCAA thing where they have these big edges on the outside, and they ask him to come off that edge. And for they just like the power and their ability to seal the edge in the run game. But those guys just you couldn't you can't do that at the next level. You can't be two ninety five. I was watching last night, uh, kid out of Alabama, Justin Gaboe or whatever he is, kind of a yeah. you know, and it, that's what they they got that guy all over that line, and he's out on the outside on the edge, Brendan and. You're going, you're looking back at the 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 tail of the tape on him. You're like 295. You know, I remember last year we had a couple of guys with Keon White and uh 
the kid from Bowling Green. Remember that guy? That was the another one of those. He was like PFF oh. was the most effective edge off the edge that year. And yeah, I know who you're talking about. And yeah, and you're just like, but they, those guys just have a tendency to eventually get kicked inside, and and Mike will be fine, I think, inside in there, and I think he's got some upside. It was just that shoulder thing was bothering him, I think, all the way through training camp. Like Brendan said, Michael, Derek Hall, I don't know, I I don't know with him. That was a disappointing opening year, and uh, the, he didn't give you a whole lot of flashes. He got a little better as the year went along at the end, and started to give you a little bit of an uptick, but um, he just disappeared and didn't give you any even one thing you could lean on and say, well, at least he was a good rusher for us in year one, or at least he stopped the run for us really good in year one. Fortunately, he was not able to do that, and so he's he, as Mike has as uh, Brandon said, he's got nowhere else to go up. It was pretty as as poor a season as I think you could have for a, a second round edge rusher. Yeah, and again, I do want to stress most edge rushers in that range of the draft struggle in year one. So yeah. I get it. They usually don't struggle that much to where they can't even play on a bad defense. Like there were snaps to get if you were competent, and he didn't get them. Right. right. It'd been one thing if it was well Taylor took the step forward and. Uchenna played all year and Mafia played all year and you go, okay, well, what was he going to do? But like you say, you know, you were, you were like, okay, Daryl's not working. Okay. Frank Clark's not working. Come on. Tyreek Smith's not working. Come on in, come on in. Let's go. Okay. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to put Draymond on the outside. I mean, you yeah. got to that point of things. So, you know, it, uh, he's got to come around with it, Michael. Um, and hopefully he can, like Brendan said though, the, the good news, Brendan provided a little bit of a silver lining on this one is that there's a very deep track record of these edges sometimes coming in that first year and just looking completely lost and the game too fast for them. And they, they just don't seemingly like they're having to relearn the game. And then they come back year two or three, four, and then, you know, kind of start to, you know, find that footing guys develop at their own pace yeah. sometimes. Or your AJF and ends in, it takes four years, but you'll eventually get there. <laughs> as long as you as long as you get there, right for that contract year, Brennan, right for that. <laughs> right uh, for gross that money. Yeah. Gross Matos is like that too. Yeah. Yeah. It does happen, man. It's, it's tough, man. It's tough rushing the passer off the edge. If you don't have elite traits that you can fall on, you just, you know, I'm super quick like Micah Parsons or beastly strong or, you know, it's it's a little bit rough. Uh, Michael with another uh, $10 donation. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you for that. Uh, double donation. Says, this may be the only time in the John Schneider era where I am so happy with the process that if it doesn't work out, I'm not mad at the decision. Great points in there, Michael. Yeah, that, that's one thing I said in a video earlier today. Um, whatever happens from here on out, this is uh, this could end up being a bad decision, but it's never going to be a dumb decision, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. in this moment, this is clearly the correct decision to make. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big believer, you as well, right, Brendan, that there's, there's times teams do smart things and have a very smart approach to the whole process, but it still doesn't give them that result to your, kind of your point on that, right? Where... It's not just this, but on a lot of different things in the football, you know, bad luck can come in, injury can strike at the wrong time, something random can happen just out of left field you didn't expect, um, that's you couldn't plan for. But the things that are within your control, I think that we're we're controlling, and that's part of why I'm so over the moon with what they've done in this process and how they've come out with it. In my from my perspective, do you feel the same way? Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. This is this was a good process that led to this decision, hundred percent. Whatever happens from here on out. I'm not going to, you know, we, we can't do the revisionist history thing in a couple of years if it doesn't work. No, let's be very careful about that. Um, th that's one thing that I'm trying to talk about a lot. There's a difference between bad decisions and dumb decisions. They uh, yeah. um, like like drafting Ethan Posick was a bad decision, but it wasn't a dumb decision. Drafting Dwayne Eskridge was a dumb decision. So 
Right. Um, there's a big difference there. And whatever happens from here on out in this moment, I really like this hire. So um, th that counts for something. And that's not to say that Schneider might not go down with the ship if um, th this hire doesn't work out. Like he's probably connected very, very much to um, McDonald's fate here in Seattle. But I, I that distinction matters. I agree. I, I fully believe it matters. And the fact that Matt, Michael, they've taken this process and been so thorough on it. They didn't, they weren't jumping at the first hire. They didn't just go to the Dan Quinn would have been the easy, safe option here. You know, you want to just, you know, you step up to the, the T on the, the ninth hole and, and it's, you come up there and man, there's some dog legs left and right. And you just grab out your three wood and you're like, I just want to keep it on the fairway. You could have done that with Dan Quinn. That would have been the equivalent of that hire. Instead, John Schneider reached into that bag. He grabbed out the big Bertha club head. And he, and he said he did a big John Daly backswing. You know that one, Brendan, where it goes all the way back like this, where the club is touching the ground on the back and then snaps that thing forward and says, let's let the big dog hunt. And uh, that's what they did with this in this search. And it, it has a bust factor to it. It ain't guaranteed success, but there are no guarantees in football. There's no decision that does not have a potential of failing out. Caleb Williams looked at as a near-generational quarterback. The Bears could mess that up from the jump. And uh, and not necessarily be their fault. You know, if he just comes in and he can't make it happen. Maybe he doesn't learn to play on time. And that's his, he, you know, he's like, just completely can't play on script. Just don't know how. I have to always do it as backyard football. That's not going to work. It's just things can come in that, that can upset you that you don't have any control over. But they've done their part here, Michael. They've done the due diligence. They've done the background work. John's talked about all that he's, I mean, he had Mike Holmgren in the building a couple weeks ago. He's met with Ron Wolf, his old, uh, his old advisor. I mean, he's done... I think everything in this process you could want him to do to make sure that he's checking with all the people and getting all of the advisors and all of the cons consultations out there he can to arrive at this final decision. And then you let it ride. So I love it. I love what they've done here. And I feel really good about this hire because of that, Michael. They didn't take any shortcuts. Right. Thank you, though. Appreciate the double donation. And Zen Lunatic, thank you for the $20 donation. My goodness, that is very kind of you, Zen Lunatic. I do appreciate you for that, brother. Uh, says, just a thank you to you both for all your coverage during this transition. Much appreciated by most of us. Was it me? Was it me? But I got a feeling from the presser that Gino is sticking around. I, I feel like the person who needs to be one of the big voices on that decision is not yet here. Mm -hmm. So I'll say that. But McDonald was mostly positive about Gino, I think. And... Um, honestly, I think that he should be, I, I know that within the fan base, a lot of people don't think Gino is good. There's a wide range of takes on what Gino is, mm -hmm. but I think among actual like football people, people who work in football, like coaches, general managers, et cetera, there is an understanding that Gino Smith is a good quarterback. Mm -hmm. So I think that most people you bring in would be like, yeah, I can work with this guy for at least a year. I 100% agree with that take, by the way. I think that there's a firm disconnect right now between some of the fan base and their view of Geno Smith to what pro personnel and people in the league look at Geno Smith. And um, I, I, yeah, I it just did. He has a hard time sometimes getting the respect in town from some yeah. folks, man. He's it's, it's weird, but uh, thank you again, Zen Lunatic for the, do the donation. It's been fun covering this transition for both me and Brendan. Um, I, I, I'm going to speak for Brendan on this one a little bit. And then the last couple of years of times and covering the team, you know, you just, you can't always, especially as we were going into mid-year, I mean, we were trying to do previews of games and we're like, well, we can tell you guys what they should do, but we know they're not going to do it. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's it got to such a point of just 
we're stuck in the mud here. The wheel's spinning, but we're not going in any forward direction. And we find ourselves in this offseason now finding the team moving in a forward direction. And that has definitely invigorated me. I think it's probably done the same for Brendan on his stance of it. And that, hey, we get something fun to cover here. We get something that's actually active and doing smart things. And you you, you understand the decision-making. And, and they're not just trying to apply the same approach and methodology at all times and never change and never adapt and never evolve. And we're, we're going the complete opposite direction, by the way, that Mike McDonald spoke today, Brendan. And it, uh, it's very, very encouraging. Right. Absolutely. Um, also kind of interesting that he mentioned Drew Locke by name in that conference. I don't know. Did you catch that? I didn't. He slipped that one through. I missed, yeah, I missed that one. And uh, Drew Locke's probably not going to be on the team in a month and a half. I wonder if he knows that. Yeah. I think like you said, you would expect him to just kind of say good things no matter what a little bit to do yeah. the, the, the kind of the political answer on this. I, I do expect Zun Lenetic, um, Gino to stay. I, yeah. I think kind of regardless of the first, whoever you're bringing in the OC, I know they'll have some, you know, somewhat they'll, but I think they'll recognize what Gino's done, the cost, cost benefit analysis, all that. It still doesn't mean you don't draft a quarterback probably at some point in this draft, but I, I do believe that um, Gino does remain at this point. And even the way he put it, you know, well, he's at the Pro Bowl, isn't he? It's kind of like yeah. it, it was kind of like a comment itself of like guy's pretty good, guy's pretty good, you know. Mm -hmm. So he touchdown passes over the last two years, and he missed yeah. two and a half games. Yeah, that's no he's joke. No joke. It's 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 the the guy's a good player. It's not to say he's a top five quarterbacker, but it's it's again comes back to my and I've gotten the debate so many times. I've reached the point of my my channel, Brendan, where I've just had to say, okay, I can't do the debate anymore. And Gino, it's reached that spot where I don't think there's any more where to push the ball forward. It's it's reached the spot where we're just hitting the wall against the folks that don't they look at Gino and go, no, no, can't do it. Get him out. You know, no words. Like, okay. I, I'll never convince you, but I truly do hope Brendan that this team puts an offensive line around Gino Smith and gives him that because then these, these guys that are those naysayers who've been sitting for two years saying, well, Gino can't do this. Gino can't, that you'll finally get to see a guy that's throwing for 4,500 yards a year and 30, 35 touchdowns and, and being up in that scratching the surface, just scratching on that outside of that top five state of things. And uh, it'll come down to, I think, a lot better of an understanding from folks at that point, too, of how much the supporting cast does really help out the quarterback, that the, 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 the two are linked. One is not separate of the other, floating on the high. You know. Mm -hmm. Or how about a defense that doesn't force him to be perfect every game? Right. That, too. But be perfect because he has to be super efficient because the defense can be on the field for two-thirds of the game. So in my third of the game, I'm on that field. I better score. Not to mention they're giving up points, to your point as well on that. Yeah. So. And uh, well, whatever we do with Gino, we have to make the decision in the next two and a half weeks. His contract. Yeah. You've seen this, right? It becomes basically fully guaranteed after February 16th. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm anticipating that, that it's going to occur. I think John's yeah. long made his peace with this, that yeah. this is going to happen. Yeah. The only way I could see it going another way would be if we hire Greg Roman as OC, which has been floated a little bit. And Greg Roman's always been a guy who wants a dual threat quarterback. Maybe he's just like, look, I, I, this is how my offense works. Give me Tyler Huntley. Give me or trade up for Jaden Daniels. Like, That's what I would, they, it would be Jaden or it'd be Bo Nix. Nix yeah, would be Bo another Nicks. guy they would have run. Um, um, McCarthy's not dual threat, is he? No, not. He, he's got that Matt Corral mobility where it's like okay. works at the college level and then pro level. It's like, dude, he's not that. He's kind of just okay. Yeah. Um, Hooker. <laughs> Hooker can move. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. but I don't know why you would hire an OC that can't work with the quarterback you have in place. Like I, uh, I, I like Greg Roman, by the way, I think he's done a pretty good job. Most places he's been, 
but I don't know why you would hire a guy like that when you have a quarterback like Gino in place. Right. I wouldn't pair it with Gino. I wouldn't pair yeah. Roman with Gino. I would, you would put him with the mobile quarterback. And even that though, I'm not sure about, because I just think that that approach ends up wearing that quarterback down over the course of the year. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the playoffs and even if you've been effective and you've got a really good record, you got a quarterback that's kind of going in there limping and mm-hmm. beat up all the hell by the time he actually gets to the playoffs reduced yeah. as a player. Yeah. yeah. Or Steve Spagnolo just cooks up a masterpiece and has <laughs> not knowing where the hell he is. Exposing the fact he can't throw a nine route. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll just make you throw a nine route. You ain't gonna complete one. <laughs> Go through, give it a shot. Damn it, not again. Thank you, though, Zen Lunatic. Very kind for you on the uh, donation, man. Um, Ryan Wilson, thank you for the $5 donation as well. Says McDonald plays a lot of cover three zone. Excited to see some coverage inside linebackers. An early thought on draft picks or free agents. Hmm. Okay. So draft picks. Um, obviously, you have a couple Michigan guys. Colson and Chris Jenkins. Um, I really like Edron Cooper. That's a guy you turned me on to. I didn't even know who he was until you mentioned his name. Good player. Mm-hmm. Second best middle linebacker I got on my board right now. Uh, there was another really good cover linebacker in this class. It was uh, Peyton Wilson. Peyton Wilson, yeah. He looked good at the Senior Bowl, by the way. 30 inch arms, I heard. Mm-hmm. That's tiny arms, man. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm that's more, that's, not great. That's, but he is 6'3, so it's weird, dude. He's got like, this tall frame and the, you know, the little. Yeah, it's like when, when Deadpool gets his arms cut off and he's growing them back. It is. He's got Deadpool arms, dude. He's got, and he's 6'3", so the, the proportions make no sense if you look at him on the field. <laughs> uh, um, uh, Jay, Jalen Ford was another Jalen one. Ford, pure cover, yeah. pure cover line. That's the best. That might be the best cover linebacker in the, in the draft, maybe, um, arguably. Yeah. So those would be draft guys, free agents. I haven't done my deep dive into free agency yet, really. Um, hmm. Is Al Shire a free agent? Aziz Al Shire, he's interesting. I think he is. Is he out there with the Titans right now? I know he was a Niner, right? Is he still? He's not still. No, there. he's with the. He he signed last year on a deal with the um, with the Titans. Okay. I'm looking right now real quick here at the uh, just the middle linebackers on free agents because I'm not as well-versed necessarily on that as well quite yet. Uh, you've got a couple guys here. Devin White is interesting. Still only 25 years old. Josie Jewell of Denver. Uh, of course, Wagner, Levante David, Jordan Hicks. Uh, Devin Bush, Patrick Queen, Denzel Perryman. Those would be your best guys. Willie Gay's out there. I do like Denzel Perryman. He's good. I like that guy. Yeah, Denzel Perriman's good. He's been around the league a little. He's getting a little bit up, up there in age, but he's always been. He's one of those guys. He's the uh, Lat- he's the Latavian Murray. Is that the running back? Where everywhere he goes, he's like really does a good job, but he just never sticks anywhere. Latavius Murray, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he's the he's the linebacker version of that Denzel Perriman. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a couple guys in there. Devin White might make might actually make some money, um, though. There's a bit of a varied opinion on him out there a little bit. Um, yeah, but you're I, probably going yeah. draft. Off, off ball linebacker is weird. If you're not in like the top four or five, you just don't get money. No, like you, you look at the AAV for inside linebackers. It's like 20, 19, 18, 17, and then 10. It just drops off a cliff. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely not, uh, you don't, it's, it's still devalued unless you're really elite at the position. And if you're elite, then you, you'll get paid, but otherwise you got to be right up there. 
Uh, I actually like the draft middle linebacker wise. There's a lot of guys between my second and third round. I haven't even looked at all the line middle linebackers, Brendan, but I've got at least nine guys uh, with a second or third round grade on them at the middle linebacker position, Ryan. So uh, Brendan mentioned some names, um, Junior Colson, Edrin Cooper, Peyton Wilson are going to be, I think your top three and your clear. I think they will be your clear top three in this draft. Uh, then you'll have your next tier, which would be, I think, Jeremiah Trotter, Cedric Gray, Maurice Lufa, Jalen Ford. And then I think you got your next tier below that, which would be Jamin Dumas, Johnson, Schmel, Mondin, Edifanu, Lufosu, um, and Tommy Eichenberg. I'm pretty sure one of the Georgia guys is staying back. I can't remember if it was probably Jamal, Fred Jamon. Yeah. One of them I know said like he's not declaring. I'll take him off. That's probably why he's not then. He thinks he can push himself up into maybe like second, first round grade for another year. Yeah, I got a more I got a more third, fourth in that range at that spot. But Ryan, there's a lot more middle linebackers in this year's draft, Brendan, than there has been. Hasn't it been kind of it's been lean in the second, third round range in the last two years in the drafts we've covered. Um, the, a couple of years ago, they had like uh, got that was a pretty good one. It had like Leo Chanel. It had the Quay but it only Walker. had there was only those three. That's the thing is like Quay was a first. I'm talking second to third. So Quay was the first yeah. rounder taken, but remember that was the one with this, that there was only, I think three middle linebackers taken from the second and the third round range of that yeah. draft. Troy Anderson was one of them, right? He was one of them. You're right on Chanel. And then there was the, um, the one other kid that I'm spacing on that. Carl uh, was first round, right? He's for, and he was an edge. All right. Okay. Yeah. I mean this, this draft doesn't have blue chippers though. Like there's no like punch it in first round linebacker. Like there usually no. is at least one. I will say that, but. It's good. I mean, this is a. Uh, did you mention Barrett Carter, the other Clemson guy? I heard he went back. Oh, okay. I liked him. Too bad. I liked him too. But yeah. another guy that was probably in that third roundish range that said, "Hey, I can get myself up in the first round if I go back another year," because um, he didn't have the best of years this year. That you know, even Trotter, I don't know, he was okay this year. But there's there's some up and down, dipping left and right on that one. But. I, I think that you're right. The blue chip isn't there, but guys that can be good and functional um, that you're picking second or third round. And if they want to double dip, that, that you could theoretically double dip with the amount of guys that are there this year. And uh, it's and looking the last couple of years, there have always been three guys, Brennan, in that second or third round range. There's always been that, but you just haven't gotten much more than that. That's it's really, you feel like you're, you end up feeling like, man, we just kind of scratched all that there was. Remember that year was like Devin Lloyd, and then you went all the way down to like the second round. There was a couple of them, like one and a third. It was, mm -hmm. it's just been a very lean position lately. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why it's been deprioritized, I guess. It's true. This guy likes him though. Mike McDonald likes himself as linebackers. Oh yeah. You know, he, he sees a lot of value in him. That's right. Ken Norton would love him. Silas uh, McDonald. Thank you for another $5 donation. I appreciate you for that. Silas. He says, KJ Wright said yesterday, Pete isn't going to be part of anything with the Hawks. It was just to give the news. It was just to give the news lightly to fans. Thoughts? I find it disingenuous. Um, he's getting George Lucas, right? Yeah, basically he's getting George Lucas, and I, I don't personally have a problem with it. Um, I, you know, we've got to be free to go our own way here, and there are going to be a lot of people making decisions about this team that are going to have prior authority over Carroll. So how much of that stuff is really going to get through? Yeah. And I think that the fans, I know Brennan's dealt with it in his reactions on his channel. I've dealt with it in my reactions from some people, you know, there was a very Silas, there was a very passionate segment of this fan base that was very pro Carol and very pro Carol remaining as the head coach. And 
that news was as much to kind of, I think, try to soften it up for them. Did it work? Was it, to your point, was it just a dis disingenuous move that, you know, kind of blowbacks when you're not being real about it? Maybe. But um, I think that they're, I don't think that they were intending to be, um, you know, mean about it with their approach with this. They're trying to light, you know, light, you say, lighten it up to people like Silas and landing it and make it try to come across a little bit easier rather than just being cold blooded. They were trying to, I think, as well, look as respectful as possible to Pete in this process and uh, not having it come off in any way, shape, or form as, you know, even if it looked that way clearly to guys like me and Brennan that it's coming off as a firing, you know, instead it's no, it's just this is, you know, this over here instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it was more just out of respect. And I'm sure that if Carol had the opportunity to go somewhere else, he would leave in a heartbeat. But that opportunity never came up. Uh, there's no openings left unless Andy Reid retires after the Super Bowl. And I don't think they'd be jumping on Pete Carroll um, if, if that happened. I think they'd probably go call up Belichick or something. Ben Johnson, Vrabel. Vrabel's got connections to that organization. I think mm -hmm. that he would just as likely be potentially the guy there. So, uh, yeah, I, I can get the fact it comes off in that way, and, I, and it is. It's not inaccurate to say it, Silas. It, it was disingenuous. Mm -hmm. They knew that he wasn't going to be in the building after that, but uh, just a way to try to, as you say, lighten the, lighten the touch on it. Not yeah, yeah. Did, did you hear the uh, rumors uh, a couple days ago about the Carroll firing, another potential theory? It was basically that Carroll said before this season started that I'm going to retire at the end of the year. And then after the last game, he's like, hey, guys, I changed my mind. And they were like, no, you don't. You did. No, we've already moved on. And if that's the case, that puts them in a tough position, right? That, that's like we've already made plans if that's true. And I don't know if it is. We'll never know until somebody writes a book. Yeah, we'll have to wait for the book on that one. I That one. It both makes sense to me in that why the season played out the way it did if it was true. And then I both also think I'm not sure that I buy that it is the truth because there was so much of a Carol talking about, I know I'm coming back, you know, when he was talking about in that last press conference he had the year before he came back a couple of days and he said, okay, I've been, you know, so there was, the, to me, that was a little bit of, you would have, that conversation wouldn't have just happened at the end of the year suddenly where it's like, no, I want to stay. It was more probably over, you know, the year he was like, no, I, I kind of want to more stay over the course of the year to them. And then they kind of went and then it evolved at the end of the year. We're like, we're not really feeling that on that. But it also the explanation part for me, Brendan, is we've had teams in the past with Coach Carroll that have been beat on the X's and O's. Right. Mm -hmm. They've been out coached right. on a gamely basis. We've had Coach Carroll teams for years that have been undisciplined. OK, Th that's been a part of what you get. It's 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 what you get the good of the bad rut with Coach Carroll. The new part this year that was unusual to me was the players not playing hard for him the yeah. multitude of guys making business decisions. And I've all, I've always felt this way about an athlete or a coach. And it's very, maybe just unique to sports. Maybe it's also, you can apply it to businesses across any, any, you know, um, occupation. And that is if you've got one foot already halfway out the door, if you're thinking about retirement, then you got to retire. You got to call it a day. Cause that's going to come across that lack of that edge, that lack of that same I'm all in style even if you're trying to fake it to make it on the surface of things, people will be able to read beneath it that you're not in on it and that you're mm -hmm. checked out just even a little bit. And that little bit is just enough not to have them fully buy in. And uh, that mm -hmm. part of it could track, but I still come back to, I just don't think. You're probably right. But I mean, there are, everybody's got a theory, right? They do. There's a lot of theories on this one. That's for sure. A lot of them. Thank you though, Silas, uh, for the uh, double donation, man. I appreciate you for that. Uh, Jessica Butler, thank you for the $5 donation. Very kind of you. 
I'm excited we got McDonald's. I'm excited we got McDonald. Can't wait to see what's in store for our team next. Now excited to see who we get for OC and DC. Any ideas? Yeah, I feel like DC just gets somebody that he trusts. That's the important part. I don't feel the need to like go get somebody awesome. I, I just somebody that he has a familiarity with and somebody that he trusts to do what he wants them to do. So the big one would be Anthony Weaver. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the big gun. A couple other guys on that Baltimore staff are interesting. Um, the guy who just got plucked by Tennessee was definitely on the radar, but he's gone now. I think Weaver just got hired by the Ravens as the DC. Okay. Have they made that official? I know they're trying to, I don't know if they're, I, I wasn't aware if that was official yet or not. My understanding was that they were trying. Oh no, Zach or. Ah, uh, yeah. Zach or was another guy that was interesting. He's been named as the Ravens. He's been named so that your guy's still available. Weaver, then it's got to be Weaver, right? Weaver would be, I think, the ideal. Yeah, at that point. Yeah. So uh, I'm not too worried about DC. OC is a lot more important now. I'll say that. Very much so. Um, I agree with Brent, Jessica. I agree with Brendan on the DC because he told you today that he's going to call the plays. And that's, you know, really when you talk about an OC or DC, yes, the way they train, the way they teach, the way they prepare for the game, the game plan they build, all the very important. But the fact that he's got the play calling duties handled, you know, he can do that. It it makes the DC a little bit less as important to the OC. And let's also remember with this, he's talked about Jessica that I want to bring this DC in and he eventually will take the play calling over for me. He's got also the history of going to Michigan and teaching the coaches how to train the, how to teach the system, how to call the system. So he's going to have that track record, bringing that guy along, whoever that is. It, it makes that guy, like Brendan said, not as important necessarily. It's not that it, there isn't, you want to hire the right guy, you do, but it's just not as integral yeah. to the whole process. From the OC standpoint, I think that it's, it's very important for, especially if you want to maximize out this talent quickly that you got on this team and get this team to a contending state quick, getting the right OC in here will get you there, I think, as fast as anything at this point. Um, he's playing with a lot of options. I think Brendan, you know, I do. I mean, the, the, the name we're hearing Jessica is Ben Grubb. The UW offensive coordinator is the one that they're, they're talking about right now. And I thought that was pretty wild news to me because I expected as a defensive minded head coach, Jessica, him to want to get a guy that was going to have a little bit more of a in the box, like Roman, you know, you know, we're going to run the ball. We're going to be 50, 50, you know, we'll use our quarterback's legs, simplify down some offensive things, protect our defense, eat the clock, that kind of stuff. But Jessica, with him even considering grub that says, no, I'm, I'm looking to score points. I'm looking right. to make, I'm looking to make the offense a, a true as much a dangerous part of this team as the is de- the defense. And that beyond who he hires, Jessica should make you most excited because that means he's not trying to box himself into a fixed ideology and instead trying to just I'm going to make the best GD team I can make out here. I'm going to put, you know, we're going to score as many points and hold back as many people from as many points they can score as possible. And I love that approach. Yeah. um, My number one would be Frank Reich for multiple reasons. He has proven NFL success. He's succeeded at a very high level, by the way. He won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Like, come Mm. on. Like, my God. Um, He's been a head coach before, ton of experience. I'm not going to worry about him being over his head at all. Never going to get poached as a head coach. Uh, I like Frank Smith, the Miami guy. If he wants to maybe jump over and have a chance to call plays because he's not calling plays in Miami, uh, that'd be great too. I really like Frank Smith a lot. I feel like he's been unpersoned over the last couple of weeks, but I still am into him. It's the name. Um, Yeah. Uh, Kafka seems like he's off the board now. They're saying he's going to return to New York. So I'm not really thinking about that, but I would have liked Kafka a lot. 
as a uh, offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, Ryan Grubb, of course, would be very intriguing, and I would definitely be on board with it. I'd give him a chance and a half, believe me. Yeah. Uh, the uh, England guy from Detroit, the uh, passing game coordinator, he's never called plays before, so I don't love that, but he's very intriguing because that passing game in Detroit is pretty fire. Tanner Engstrand, England, something like that. I ain't giving it a try. That's the one dad side I'm looking down to. If we have to hire him, Brendan is, and we have to learn how to pronounce that name. And some of those Holland Norwegian names are twilled. We'll twist that tongue in a knot. Yeah. Um, T Martin, not super into that one. Seems like a guy who could end up being overwhelmed. And he's the only thing he's done, like at the NFL level, that's notable is he did get better passing out of Lamar Jackson. Uh, this last year as the quarterback coach, but that could have been um, Munkin more than anything. Yeah, I agree. I I I think was there another name you had? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, there was. I can't remember his name, but there's a um, quality control coach on Baltimore as well, uh, offensive guy. I can't remember his name now, but he's like really really young. Um, not super excited about that. I kind of don't want to bring somebody from Baltimore on that hire personally. Yeah, I don't either. No, but um, Chip Kelly would be a lot of fun. Chip would be Chip would be buck wild. That's for sure, man. You you talking about both sides of the ball being just wild as can be and doing whatever they want to do. You'd you'd be seeing that in both sides of the ball. Um, I think the names that you mentioned, Jessica, are the names that are out there that are definitely interesting from my perspective too. I don't think I've uh, anybody to add on top of that. And boy, Frank Reich, you know, you got to look at his situation with the coaching, and I, it's one of those guys that in his coaching stops. Offensive-minded head coach, and you never quite get him the quarterback. You know, I don't think Bryce Young is going to be all that in a can of chips, and he didn't have that at, at, at the Colts, but still a very good offensive mind and knows what he's doing. And your point about the fact you'll never see him post as a head coach, you know. Not a lot of guys get a third opportunity if they failed the first two at the first two stops. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, one more guy would be the enemy because I think Washington's going to cut him loose now, and he's going to be out there. Um, he's had success as an OC before. Probably mm -hmm. got about as much as you can get out of Sam Howell, if we're being honest, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I think he did a, he did a functional job with him out there. There's not a lot there to work with him. You know, you can only do with what you got to work with as a, as a coordinator and coach. So he'd be okay. Engstrom would be interesting too. His, at the core of what they do in route running is they do a lot of option routes. So he'd be bringing guys in off of a lot of Gino and the boys reading the same page on the, on the leverages and all that stuff and how they play it. Yeah, like... I'm thinking about politics when you run for president, right? When you're running for president, you want to pick a vice president that is the opposite of you. So if you are old, you want somebody that is young. If you are establishment, you want somebody that's an outsider. If, uh, you know, you, that's usually how it goes. You want somebody mm -hmm. that is not like you. So I'm thinking about it like this. Like we have this head coach who is young and relatively speaking inexperienced. So I kind of want an OC that is older and experienced. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's kind of how I'm feeling about it. I don't know if I want to try to hit a 700 foot home run with the head coaching hire and the offensive coordinator. I wouldn't be against it, but that's why I like Frank Reich. I know he's going to be good. Yeah. I'm okay taking your approach with it too on that. I don't need to swing for the, the fences on this. I do think though, that like you did say, I would be a little underwhelmed with going to the Raven staff. None of the oh, guys yeah. on that, that jump out to yeah. me that are, yeah, this one. No, it's like, eh. Oh. No, that that I agree with because T. Martin's never called plays before. He's never even been an offensive coordinator yeah. before. Like that's very different. Yeah, and even though, like you said, the quarterback coach thing—he just he was a receivers coach prior to this past year doing the quarterbacks coach. He's only done the quarterback coach thing for one year with Lamar. Yeah. There, it's like that's sample size to the utmost there at that point. Right. 
Uh, thank you though, Jessica. I appreciate that donation. And uh, I think everyone is hyped to the moon on this one right now. Uh, this is one from your, I believe, channel on this one with Carson Schroer, who's been a member of your channel for 32 long months. Thank you for that, Carson. Uh, it says, great feeling to be excited for what's to come. For a while, it felt like the same thing every season. Look out, Shanahan. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah, that, that's got to be the most exciting part about this hire, right? Um, the fact that he has dismantled so many of these offenses that have just had our defense coming and going for years now. Mm -hmm. I, I guess the McVay offense did pretty good against the Ravens last year, right? They almost won in overtime. It was Stafford. Stafford was doing that thing because you, I think you'd agree that Stafford almost had an, a quiet MVP season last year. If he didn't like, get hurt, it would have been interesting. Yeah. It would have been interesting. And and what stands out is that you go to some of the games, the game he played against us in the first game, you can go and find like 10 to 15 throws that are like MVP level throws throughout the course of the game where he's just fitting it into a very tight space and spot. And it's just like, there are a few quarterbacks that are going to complete that ball in that, in that place. And he just had one of those games against the Ravens where he was just dealing and they weren't necessarily playing bad. It was just that he was on his, he was on his, 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 his game. Right. But no, it's he's taken out. You look at the offenses alone this year. He's taken out Carson, and it's it's not just one, but it's a variety of offenses. It's the Detroit offense with some of their ways they run it. It's the um, it's the 49ers offense and the way he took that apart. It's taken us apart. That's a different type of offense than what we run. It's like he's he could go at different ones and still find different answers. It's taken apart the Kansas City Chiefs, which is another whole offense, and the way he did that in the playoffs game or the Texans. Texans offense ended up being one of the better offenses throughout the course of this year twice over that Ravens took them apart and, yeah. and and kept them at 10 points or under in both of the two games that they played him this yeah. year. And, and that's Slowick. That's a Shanahan guy. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, I, I think uh, you have a right to be excited, Carson, as I was, we were talking about earlier on this, this is the first year for us where it's, we, we, we really don't know what we're going to get, but there's also a level of excitement in that not knowing what you're going to get because there was a little bit more of an, a fixed path for us in recent years and looking at what we're seeing here in this team a bit. And uh, you know, the light's coming out here a little bit. Uh, Rand of the Cut, thank you for the $2 donation. He says, let the new era begin. Whatever happens, I'm excited. I love it. Everybody's on the same page with this, Brendan. I think everybody's on the same kind page. I feel like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's the right way to feel. I do too. I do too. I think it's this is an exciting time and it doesn't, like you say, whatever happens doesn't guarantee success. We're excited for now. We're making smart decisions. Our stuff up here is being done at a smart level all the way through. And now we'll just see how it carries on down downwind at this point thank you though ran uh liminal thank you for the five dollar donation liminal says do you guys did you did you guys see that we requested an interview with the lions passing game coordinator tanner engstrad for oc what are your thoughts on it that would be a very high ceiling hire i think my concern is he's never called plays before mm -hmm. but there is immense potential there because that pass game is and I don't think that passing game has the greatest talent. They've got a great offensive line, but they've got a quarterback that was a throw-in in the Stafford trade, basically. He was kind of just like, you know, chuck, chuck it in there so you guys have a competent quarterback. Uh, their receivers, I mean, St. Brown's great, but Josh Reynolds was a journeyman, and uh, who else do they have over there right now? Um, Jamison Williams? Yeah, Jamison Williams. I mean, he's good, but he also missed about half the season, and they were still really good without him. I think he's still a limit. He's still a little bit that one trick pony ish to him too, as far as that mm -hmm. deep threat. Like he does, he's not 
fully well-rounded on the route running tree. Right. So he's making hay over there with not the greatest players. Like he's going to have much better receivers if he comes to Seattle, I think. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. A, a much, much better receiving core. Um, I The thing that in, impresses me, and I, I, I talked about this a second ago, but with, just to tie a little bit more into it on this liminal most of your coordinators in this league are going to have their their route trees they're running on a on a play and the routes are fixed you know and we're calling this i know where you're going to be you know i, I know what route you're going to run with them and, and doing the background on ben johnson when he was prepping for the potential of him hiring here so much of the lions offense is on the is on the option routes and that means it's on both the quarterback and the receiver to be on the same page but to me that also means there's way more stress than upon the passing game coordinator to make sure that those guys are on that same page. When you're reading this, this is what we're going to do. You got that too. I got that too. That's how that's going to go. So it's a little bit of an extra to me than just, you're going to run the route you're going to run. This is the play that's called. It, it's a little bit of an extra layer of complexity to the process on it. And I love option routes because it's it's you feeling off of the leverage. So many teams play so much zone defense. I feel your leverage here. I go here. I feel your leverage here. I go there. It's very simplistic, but it works so well. And there's not really a counter to it unless you start trying to do those mind games of Brendan, you know, we'll show them the leverage here, but then we'll spin to the leverage over here as it, once they see it, you know, and then try to try to, which is hard to do. That's an easier said than done thing after the snap. Mm -hmm, right. So I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. If it's, if it's uh, Tanner Engstrand, Engstrand. I'm calling, uh, her, I'm calling him Tanner E. Yeah. Yeah, if it's Tanner E, I'm I'm for it. He's not my number one, but he is definitely somebody I would be like, okay, I can see how this works. And if it works, it works really well. Yeah, agreed on the boom bust factor on that one too, Brennan, with him because he has not called it before, like you said. So it's it is a it is a bit of a risk there. But uh, like like where they're going with their thought process on it, Liminal. Ben Johnson's doing some really smart things. Plucking from that tree, grabbing a branch from that tree is not the worst of ways to go. Uh, appreciate you, the donation. Uh, David Pugh, thank you for the $10 donation. That is very kind of you, David. Uh, very much appreciated. Says, long time no see, fellow Hawks. Is this new D, in this new D, will we likely have, how are we feeling about trading back to the 2023 range and getting someone like Edrin Cooper? I don't think Cooper's crept into the first round yet. If anybody does, he might, but I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I think um, for either Colson or Cooper to get in the first round, they're going to need to run like four, four, five, forties at the combines. You know, they're going to have to do something from a testing standpoint to really push themselves up into that range because I think they're both right on that edge of the start of the second round. David, um, when it comes to trading back, when I look at this draft and I'm if I'm a general and I'm looking like a battlefield and how I want to assemble, you know, got my artillery over here, you know, got my cavalry over here, got my infantry right here. When I'm looking at this draft and specifically the top of this draft, and I see right now that we have three picks in the top 100, what I would try to set out to do is to end up with five picks in the top 100. That would be my philosophy and trying to make that happen. Now, does that happen for me going 16 to 25 and 25 to three? Does that maybe me doing some other things moving around? I, I don't know how you make it happen exactly. Maybe it's not feasible to make that go. Maybe you can only make it three to four. Maybe that's the only way to make it happen. But if you can get that many, my opinion on this is this. When you get, there's there's about 10 blue chip prospects in this draft, David. You get to 11 to 50, 
And you got a lot of guys very similar in where they stand and where they sit. And, and at that point, why not just get more of those guys in that range if I can, if they are very similarly talented with very similar upside, similar boom or bust rate to them, uh, to varying degrees, of course. Uh, Cooper is just buying Colson for me as my number two linebacker. I love him. Um, those guys, I think, are far and away the, the top two off the board right now. I, I think when you go to number three, like Peyton Wilson, he's got medical issues and T-Rex arms, and you're not sure on that one. But those guys are your are your true Hey, you're getting a dog in there. You know, you're you're getting somebody that, you know, he's going to get the job done in there in the, in the middle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, again, we we need to see how things shake out during the draft. Like maybe Bowers falls to sixteen the way some people, some people seem to be thinking he is. I, I don't understand how in the world that happens. I walked through this a- today. I got you on this. Okay. Let's go through it. Five quarterbacks go in the top eleven. Right. Three wide receivers go in the in the top eleven as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got three tackles go in the top eleven or go in the the top fifteen picks as well, right? So let's go mm-hmm. through that. We have five, eight, we're to eleven. And I want to ask you a question on this, so that's where I'm going with this. So you have eleven. You're the eleventh pick now. Bowers hasn't been taken. Do you go sixteen to eleven with a third round pick that you give up to move up for Bowers at that point? Oh, instantly. Instantly. I would too. Yeah, I would too. This is like one of the four best players in this draft. Yeah, I agree. I'm I I would I would jump up and go do it as well at this point. But I as I walk through it, Brendan, I think I mean Penix just got clocked at the the senior bowl today running 19 miles an hour. He's the fastest clock quarterback, and that even surpasses Bo Nix and his speed at the at the senior bowl right now. Bo Nix is getting a lot of push right now to get up into the top 10. There's there's getting to there's some heat there. I already think that you're looking at three quarterbacks taken in the top five. You know Harrison's going to go. You know Olu Fashano's going to go. You know Joe Alt's going to go up in that top range. So, you know, Fuwanga is having an amazing senior bowl right yeah. now so far over there on that side. He's solidified himself to me as a blue-chip prospect at this point. So, I'm just saying, Brandon, it, it, might get, it might get a little interesting drop day if Brock Bowers kind of slips, 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 slides away a little if bit. Bowers is still there at 12. I, I'm going to have to, like, stop the draft stream to take a shower or something. <laughs> I know. We'll have to change my pants if, if we do trade down for him. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, David, though. Um, Cooper's a great player, man. Um, he can do it all. Him and Junior Colson, they can blitz, they can tackle, they can cover, they can run in space, uh, rangy sideline to sideline. They got it all, man. So, uh, uh, you're like you're it's understandable to like those guys and certainly they're gonna be a target mm-hmm. right uh codad thank you for the ten dollar donation i appreciate you for that codad hope you're having a great night brother says the other day kj said the hawks didn't allow contact in camp and that preseason games were the first time they do any tackling what he added mm requires contact in camp yeah. You remember the the what that um Tim Allen would do on home improvement? That that's kind of how I imagined that. Really? Yeah, exactly. Something like yeah. that, wasn't that? Yeah, that was it. That was it. That was good. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm imagining there. But uh I think a lot of coaches do this. Um a lot of coaches do things to like take it easy on their players. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Mike McCarthy, ever since he's been the Cowboys coach, at least, and maybe when he was with the Packers, Friday only does walkthroughs. There's like mm-hmm. no hard work at all on Fridays. Yeah. I, I think that this is an interesting, I think it's an interesting note, Brennan, that there's something to be taken from this with Kodad's note on this and that this was something KJ talked about because uh, I've been hearing the same thing here coming out about that. And 
I don't know if it was that Carol just thought he was getting fined because they were going so hard in camp and he just kind of like took it like, like, you know, he got kind of pissy about it and he's like, well, fine, we won't do any contact then. But it does make sense why you're having a hard time tackling, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. This stuff starts to add up as to why you're not as physical at your line of scrimmages, why you get your butt owned at the line of scrimmage on a weekly basis is because, you know, there's a, there's a great, uh, there's a great little soundbite of Dan Quinn or not Dan Quinn, but uh, Dan Campbell with the Lions this preseason. I think they were on, were they on hard knocks this preseason? I think I want to say, and I think so. Um, he's talking to the group of the players and they're tired and it's late in the training camp. And he's saying to him, you know, I know you guys are tired and I know you don't understand why there's all this contact, why we've got to hit, why we've got to do this. He says, I'm preparing your bodies. You may not understand it. You may not, but this, this is tried and true stuff that we know about how to prepare you for the season so that you're physically at your best. So we're protecting you against injury. We have to take you through this process. And I think it's the place that players sometimes, even players that have been linked for a long time, don't do the two and two on this, Brendan, you know, as evidenced by the mm -hmm. CBA negotiations, by the fact that they kept dialing back for more practice time. Yep. That to me was pure evidence of the players going, no, we don't want more money. We want to practice less. Well, that's also a disconnect on your part to understanding how valuable practice is to preparing your body, to keeping you out of injury, to, to making sure you're just doing it on this whole, well, I'm, the wear and tear of my body is breaking me down to the point where, you know, too much practicing and everything. But you're also not doing the math on the back end part of how it causes injuries when you don't, where now you're more susceptible on that stuff. And have we not been one of the more injured teams as well when you look over the past four or five years in addition to that, um, yeah. proof to my pudding? Yeah, I don't think this most recent year we were, but in general, over the last several years, I, I know in like 2019, we got completely ravaged. I think 2020 was pretty bad as well. So there, there's definitely some of that going on. Yeah, it's also something we haven't seen with inner scrimmage games. You know, that's another place to me where you can find I know some coaches or don't like it, but you have so little opportunity to create live fire situations for your team during training camp. And you have these teams that do it. And it feels like those teams really benefit from that. You know, a guy like Sean McVay, for instance, might not play all of his players in, in training in preseason as starters, but he will have them playing in those inner squad games. He will get that contact in there, that hitting in there. So, um, yeah, you're getting a new uh, training camp this next year, Kodad. It ain't going to be a uh, – what is it when they call this? It's not a retreat, Brendan, but when you go to a, like a spa thing that's like a oh, – there's a, there's a whole um, name for it like uh, – I can't think of the name. It's a, it's got like a, a fancy name to it, but yeah, um, I can't remember exactly what it know, is, but like uh, a spa the, retreat. <laughs> yeah. With uh, Wade Phillips, they called it camp cupcake. That's it. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. you're not building a champion on camp cupcake. Right. You know, you'll build some, you'll, you'll build some bellies, but not, not champions. Absolutely. But uh, thank, thank you, Kodad. That's a great note. And uh, I'm, it adds up. That's as they say, one of those things that totally tracks to what we saw play out and explains it. You, you have it's already been dialed back so much. We talked about this in the hiring process. The next coach has got to have a methodology in place to teach tackling because it's it's not a problem just here. It's a league-wide issue. How do you do it when the players have pulled so hard in the CBA negotiations to allow you to do it? I mean, it's it's kind of a secret sauce kind of thing of to to pull it off, you know? Hmm. Absolutely. There, there's some balance in here, and I don't know exactly where it is, but it's their job to find it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, though, Code to that. Appreciate you. Holy Hand Grenade, thank you for the $2 donation. It is amazing how Bobby is the last of the Pete era. Mm. Indeed. Well, last. I mean, do you consider guys like Charles Cross to be Pete era? Because Pete was here when, I mean, I know what he's talking about. Yeah. But the Pete era encompasses a long time. It does. I, I it's Bobby's career has been amazing. And um, 
he's kind of had one of the more quiet, great year. I mean, he's going to be up there and should be considered up there as one of the best middle linebackers when this thing all is done. I mean, he should be up in that top five to me, no doubt at this point with all that he's put together. And um, it's, he's been remarkable. And if he comes back for another year, I think he'll still play pretty doggone good for us next year. In addition to that, and if he puts another year together on it, um, you know, he's never going to have an opportunity to overtake a Ray Lewis, um, maybe never have an opportunity to overtake a Jack Lambert. Um, but I certainly think that he's overtaken your, your other guys that would have been just there. And, and maybe he's clipping on the heels of a junior sale at this point, maybe not quite there, but certainly, mm-hmm. you know, he's getting uh, who, close. Who is the, uh, Dolphins guy, uh, Zach Thomas, Zach Thomas. Yeah. I li- always liked him. I liked him too. I've got him in the top 10, Brennan. I did a top 10 list on the middle linebackers a few years ago, looking at this. And I ended up landing at Bobby at that time at four behind, um, Seau, Lewis and Lambert, but I did have him ahead of Buck is I did have him ahead of, um, uh, the Chicago guy. Singletary. Uh, uh no, not Singletary. The other one. Oh, Erlacher. Erlacher. <clears throat> Singlet- yeah. Singletary is like a nine. I think Singletary, I think Singletary, Zach Miller and all those guys kind of all are in about the same spot. Like those guys in that area. I think they all kind of, yeah, it, it, it's tough, especially with Butkus because there are no stats. You, you, you just have to be like, well, I talked to a really, really old guy, and he told me how good Butkus was. So, therefore, I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> That's true. Butkus is the hard one. Here's the other thing with Butkus is that he was injured so much. Mm. You know, he's only played eight years, and then he, I think he he missed like a whole nother collective year of games minimum in the time that was, you know, in the eight years of span he played. So, it's like, well, does longevity factor in then? I've got a guy here playing 13, 14 years, and you played eight, but you played really the equivalent of like seven that's where I have to ding Buckus down just a little bit. Still keeping him in the top 10 as well, but I think you do have to ding him past – the longevity has to eventually factor in a bit on it, right? It's got to come into play yeah. at some point. Never made the playoffs either. No. That's that's worth. Yeah, that's the other part of it too, and that's not all his fault, but it's – you know, Bobby's a champion. Bobby's been – Bobby's a winner. Um, so yeah. I, I I feel pretty good still about that fourth spot, and uh, Junior put up so many stats. <laughs> he's so hard to overtake on that, yeah. on that number three. He's just a monster there, but Bobby is – uh, I think he's pretty firmly rooted in there at number four at this point after this last year. Right. I agree. But yeah, pretty amazing. Holy angry. And he's still, still the man standing. Mega Lucario. Thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you for that. Mega. He says, my concern with grub would be his influence in the draft. Maybe he pushes for Penix and I don't want him. I don't believe he works with our team. Penix ain't going to be there. Yeah. Mm. somebody's going to do it. I, I, I'm feeling it. Like, like I've been so back and forth on the Penix thing right now, though. <laughs> I feel like he's going in that top uh, 12, I'll say. Yeah. Michael Penix with his banana hands are, uh, are going to go in the, are going to go in the top 10. Did you see you measure those things out like 10 and yeah. 10 and a, uh, you know, yeah. he could make it. You can basically stack uh, Kenny Pickett's hands on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And that would be Michael Pickett's Mike. That would be uh, Michael Penix's hand. You know, yeah. Remember the Alex Smith hands? That was the other one. Yeah, I yeah. remember when they measured his hands. It's like baby hands. It is. It's totally yeah. baby hands. So I feel like Penix will be gone. So I'm not worried about that. But does this push us to draft uh, another Washington player like Fatanu mm. or Rosengarten, who killed it at the Senior Bowl? People were buzzing about that. Did you see any of that? I did. Yeah, he was getting some good, some good yeah. praise out there. Which yeah, is cool. He's a lo- late round pick. That's easy to get. Um. Would he push for maybe uh, Jalen Polk or Jalen McMillan? I'm not going to do O'Dunsey because O'Dunsey's going to be gone. 
Polk's the interesting one to me because he kind of did that came out of maybe a year early thing. If he goes back another year, maybe he pushes himself into first round discussion. You buying right. that? Or do you think he's, um, he fits into being a third round yeah. guy and that's who he is. He might go with the second this year. Uh, I think he's pretty, I, 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 he doesn't have like the physical profile of Odunze. Oh, by the way, it's Odunze. I always say Odunze because that's how it's spelled, but it's Odunze. I and um I, I i don't know i'm uh i don't think polk would have ever been a first rounder especially okay. not because this offense is getting pulled apart right now and he just he just sometimes felt this year like he was step for step with the amazing catches like the catches where it wasn't just Penix throwing it to a spot where it's like oh he dropped it right in the bread basket on that on polk there but he felt like he was kind of step for step with romo and just the incredible catches and grabbing stuff is like how did he reel that thing in you know athletically to go up and get that and contested catches and all that he was so good with that mcmillan he seems a little more like mcmillan seems more possession receivery yeah a, a little more labored in the movements a bit not as not i'm much, a i'm a uh I'm, I'm a mcmillan fan i think that he just had a really bad year because of all the injuries that kept happening to him but um oh dunsey did separate himself from um mcmillan this year clearly yeah yeah absolutely mm -hmm. But uh, even even a guy like Jack Westover, who I think is going to go undrafted, I think he's going to have a presence in the NFL. I like that I guy a too. lot. Yeah. I do too. Hey, he he literally would drop nothing. That guy caught everything <coughs> he threw at him, man. And and they need a big catch. They go to him, and he he would make the big catch every year. He was like, every time this year it was like, yeah. go to Hanover. I'm surprised here he's not going to hit. Somebody will take him yeah. in the seventh. Is it a size thing? Is he just six three, and is he in that tweener? I think he's pretty small. Maybe he gets drafted anyway, though. He's just seems like the kind of guy that the Belichick Patriots would have ended up with back ten mm -hmm. years ago, and then they just hang around forever. Yeah, they're always annoying because they're always doing stuff in big moments. Yeah, just finding some unconventional role to fit into that. Yeah, works for them. yeah, right. I, uh, Mega, I do agree with Brendan on this. I'm, and I'm. It's more. This is drawing on the back of Senior Bowl. This is an ever changing thing but it Penix seems like he's pushing himself up more and more um into that top 12 range i've long said he's a top 20 guy so he had nowhere to go but up from there from the senior bowl spot in my opinion and so and pushing himself another 10 picks yeah the driver on this mega is really the number of teams up in that top 12 range that need quarterbacks and there is only one kirk cousins and one justin fields that is available this offseason as alternative options versus going into the draft and getting your guy there in the draft and that that means to me that you're going to get maybe an extra guy or two taken up in that top 10 to top 11 this year with this class. Um, then you might not have otherwise, if the teams were a bit more fitted with their QB position. So um, Penix is a possibility, but I, I got to feel like Grubb understands mega that if I take Penix, I have to have the pass protection, the offensive line to make that work. And if you have Schneider and McDonald's, two smart guys sitting down there with Grubb and saying, look, we like him too, but we got to keep this kid clean. And we've got work to do on this offensive line to get it clean before he's ready to go. I, I think that that then makes it a little bit more hesitant to then go with Penix. But the rest of the guys Brendan mentioned, I think are all in play at that point. Um, I don't think we go with a third round wide receiver. So I think Polk and second round receiver either if Polk does go there um, or McMillan, because we're, we'll, we go more, I think, late if we're going to take any receiver. And I don't think we're going to probably target receiver. But um, yeah, that would be. What, what if we know that Lockett's going to retire at the end of the year, though? What, what if we know Lockett's got one year left? I think it's at least possible because I don't think Bobo's ever going to be like a high usage guy. I think he's going to be a situational guy. Uh, well, it certainly depends a little bit on if they're going to dump Eskridge for sure, right? 
Like they, they've been, they gotta, they got, I know they got, they've been, they've, we've, how many decisions that we reached the last couple of years that they got to do this, right? They got And they still like, Nope, we're trotting this back out here again. Let's roll it again. I think they would. Um, I think that John does like Derek young a lot. Mm, that's true. And, um, if you put the numbers all, if we run the numbers on that, I think that, you know, here's the thing I'll say to your point on that though. I, in going through this right now, I, I think that we might like defensive tackle, a lot of guys in the second, third round cornerbacks got a lot of guys throughout the whole draft that were really good. Mm-hmm. I kind of have like, I kind of have like 18 uh, receivers in the first four rounds. As far as my grades go, I got, I got Harrison yeah. jr. Malik neighbors, Romeo, uh, Romo, Adunze, Brian Thomas, Xavier Leggett, Keon Coleman, Jacob Cowling, Amika Abuka, Lad McConkey, Xavier Worthy, Malachi Corley, Jalen McMillan, Des Walker, Jamari Thrice, Brendan Rice, and then of course Jalen Polk. That's that's just the first three rounds I just read to you, Brendan. There's still Roman yeah. Wilson, Johnny Wilson, and Xavier Restrepo that I've got in the fourth round. So value, value on the board, to your point, if Lockett is gone in a year, the value might drive them to it. Yeah. It, it certainly could drive them to it at that point. Yeah. That wouldn't be the craziest outcome. I'm 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 just uh, open to the distinct possibility. I think it's uh, can't be completely ignored. By the way, whoever we bring as the OC might not even want Lockett. They might be like, okay, no yards after the catch, no blocking ability, undersized. Uh, give me that six million dollars, please. Or yeah, it's actually more if you do post June first. Which they, yeah. I, I I don't want to do that. I think you can get some value out of um, out of Lockett. I've said this before when talking about Lockett. Yeah, he's going to be overpaid in 2024, but just just take the L. It's not that big of an L to hold. Just hold the L for a year. You're going to still get good stuff out of him. He's still going to be relatively productive. Just deal with it next year. But if the new guy comes in and is like, I can't do anything with this guy, then okay. Yeah, I could get it if the new guy does say that, but I would push on that new guy to go like, look, you've got – I mean, though, to your point on that, it's like, well – you know, Bobo's not really a run after the catch guy. JSN can do a little bit of that. DK is not really that either. So you do go to the point of like, well, who's our, who is our run after the catch guy? If my offense is kind of built to be that, um, yeah, it's a you know, Walker. yeah, it's, it's going to be your, your, your backs essentially. So, I mean, there is a bit of a valid point in that with the, with especially the yak ability, Brendan, I mean, say nothing to the blocking, you know, I mean, the, you know, like we didn't talk about is this is like another guy we didn't speak about that could be a little bit in, in troubling zones here is Tariq Woolen in this situation with Mike McDonald. Oh, yeah. And then I don't think that's likely you're moving him, but there's definitely an option here where the Ravens cornerbacks tackle. They're like one of the better teams in the league at doing that. It's a big part why their defense worked is that those guys put their nose in there and they get it done. And you have these offenses, Brendan watching a lot of tape when the more con- the more, um, normal blocks I'd see applied to us a lot of times, Brendan, this year and, and to a lot of teams across the board is that you have that receiver come down who's like six one Cooper Cup size, right? And he does the pin pull block. So he pins the block in on the defensive end. And then that, la- let's say it's left tackle. The left tackle then pulls around the back of the, the pin block, right? And the receiver doesn't have to hold the block for very long because it's a pitch play wide. So he's just got to hold it for that long. You just got to just stop the guy for a moment. He can he can throw you on the ground. Like he, Cooper Cup, this guy can knock you on the ground, but you have slowed him up for enough for an, immediately so we can get the left tackle in space. So now we have our left tackle out there clearing the alleyway for the running back out in front. And then you leave, oftentimes that tackle comes out, Brendan, he's going to the linebacker, he's going to the safety. 
and then you're leaving you'll have then there you'll have then the receiver blocked down and pin the other linebacker safety right so left tackle let's say goes to the linebacker the out the outside receiver then goes down to the safety and then you'll have teams that will isolate their corner one-on-one with that back on that pitch play on the outside and they did it with us with Tariq Woolen last year a lot and that's where then that corner's got to rally up and be able to tackle on his own one-on-one in space. And it's a requirement now. It didn't always, it wasn't always the case in the NFL, Brennan, but um, that's now become a place where you've got to take care of business with that. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations about Woolen lately on my channel as well. But he's uh um I, I think it's far more likely that you try to get it right with him than you just deal him now, right? Because the the coverage is so good. Like even mm-hmm. last year, which was a down year by his standard, his coverage numbers were still off the charts. But are you going to commit to playing him in man? Yeah, I, I, I would. Um, I mean, look, the teams that play the most man in the NFL right now still play zone about half the time. It's not mm-hmm. something you have to like purely commit to the no. way that some people might think. Like, like when I played Madden back when I was a little kid, I would play man coverage every snap. But no real NFL defense is doing that. Yeah. Well, it's just I worry about that, you know, because it does seem like McDonald's one, the more I look into it, is more zone heavy. Not he's not in that up at the fifty percent range of man, but he'll be back more in the in the depths of zone when it's said and done. So it's that's my thing with this is the tackling. And then well, if Tariq's shown himself to be best in man coverage, but you're not going to put him in those conditions, is there better value for him in another spot than there would be here that would be running more of those concepts? That's part of what I wonder a bit about the situation as John looks at it going into this offseason. I, I think where it comes down is like you said, though. I'm just, it's something I'm sort of toying with a little bit in wonder. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, MJ Seahawk, thank you for the $20 donation. I appreciate you for that. MJ, very, very kind of you, man. I know you dropped a big donut the other day, too, on yesterday's stream. So thank you so much, sir. I salute you for that. Thank you. He's, he says, uh, I think we need to take a step back this season, trade back in the draft, but pick up picks in the 2025 draft. Cut Adams, Monet, see if McDonald can find some gems that we didn't know we had. Let's let's cover this approach a little bit, Brendan. This is something that's a hot, hotly debated item right now on my channel a bit. And that is to go for it or to not go for it. And, and to be essentially to go into the principles that he's advocating for here, Brendan. What is the smarter approach? I know that your answer is going to be a little bit of let's trust in what the coach wants, but I'm not going to let you off the hook with that. I'm going to press your feet to the fire on this one. What path is the right path? And you don't get to pick the middle ground. You got to pick either two grounds here. Go for it mode, or let's pull this thing down, reset that button, and uh, turn this around a year. I feel like we have too many good young players to just reset. Like, you've got Cross, rookie deal. Still Lucas. I I know Lucas could go one way or the other now, but rookie deal. Woolen, Witherspoon, um, Walker, Charbonnet. Uh, I think there's just a little too much. Mafe, Mafe, that's actually one of the bigger ones. Um, I, I think there's a little too much going on here for you to just say, let's just wait a year. In a year, some of those guys might want extensions. I don't know if any of them are going to get them because they're not like super duper stars yet. But um, I, I'm not looking to waste years of rookie deals that are really good. Like we've had two really good uh, draft classes in a row now. I'm trying to capitalize on that. So I'm not, I, I mean, I'm not going crazy. But I'm not pulling back the way that this um, seems to be implying. Now, I think Adams and Monet and guys like that are going to be gone no matter what because they're just not earning their keep. 
but that has nothing to do with pulling it back. Like cutting Adams is not a decision that you make because you're tanking for a year or anything like that. Yeah. I, I, and I, I maybe be fun for us to be debated on this one, Brendan, but I again, find myself in the same kind of place you are with this MJ. Um, there are people that I've heard of advocated for doing what you're doing, where we take this down. I, when I look at the, when I look at this team recently, MJ, I think that there's been a lot of stuff you've left on the table as far as advantages. It's the little advantages that Mike McDonald was talking about in his press conference today that we have left across the board. And we've had in our philosophy, um, not being willing to throw the middle of the football field, not being willing to run outside, defensively not being willing to blitz, um, not being uh, very much in the area of disguising or complexity as far as in the defensive ball and the way the side, the way you draw your coverages. You bring a coach in that just fixes those real base items, you get improvement from the team. Um, you start getting these these young guys in year one and two getting to year three now, and they start to improve with that as well. Um, you talk about the cuts you can make here from Adams to Quandry Diggs to Monet to Dwayne Eskridge. Um, just a base five cuts you make, which frees up a ton of money for you to not only go out there and handle your normal business, not only be enough money to go out there and re-sign a Leonard Williams, but then maybe go out there on that market and go get yourself a Patrick Queen on top of that if you want to go do so. And you pair, you pair that together with a strong draft. And now you have those little advantages you're not taking advantage of on both sides of the ball. I think that that's a team that can be three games better next year. I look at that and go, if I do all those things and I was nine wins this year, can I be three games better next year? And if I'm at 12 wins, am I not probably in a contending status at that point? Yeah, I am. If it was a matter of, I didn't do that and I was going to be right back at nine wins and I might feel differently. But the fact that I think you can be three wins better on the back of these said things, I, I can't, I can't pull it back at that point. I want to, I want to more go forward. Yeah, the uh, the time for this team to actually blow it up was two years ago when you didn't really have any young, exciting players except for Metcalf, and he wasn't, and he had already been in the league a few years at that point. Uh, you had guys like Diggs coming off the books that you could have just let walk. Uh, you had um, uh, Wilson, you had just made the Wilson trade, so you didn't have a quarterback in your mind at that time. That would have been the time to blow it up. You're not going to yeah. do, I don't think you're going to do it now when you have so many nice young pieces. Yeah. I agreed. I think just the timing of it right now is that you have to you have to push the ball forward. I get that MGI I totally get and you're not alone. There's a lot advocating for let's hey, this is what you do now. You know, take it down, reset, rebuild with it. Normal situations, I think this is what you would do. It's just this being the unique place it's at that we are already we just got through essentially year two of the rebuild. I think you just keep bearing you keep leaning that rebuild into year three and keep it rolling, keep it moving and uh see, you know, see where it goes from there at that point. So um We'll see. We'll learn soon, MJ, their 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 approach to this as we get in the offseason by the cuts they make and by, you know, if they do pull it down to that range. But uh, the, I get the impression by boy Mike McDonald talks, by the way John Schneider talked about the team underachieving this year, that they they both kind of maybe feel like there's this team's a little bit closer to getting um, itself up there with the best out there in the NFC. Right. Thank you, though, MJ, so much for the $20 donation. Really appreciate you for that. A problem child. Thank you for the $5 donation. What do we think about Tavondre being the Pierce for the Seahawks? Yeah, I, I love Tavondre. He's very fun. Um, Maybe the Michael Pierce? Is that what he's Yeah, saying? the Michael Tavondre. Pierce. The uh, nose okay. tackle, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That is the nose tackle in Baltimore, right? Well, him and, and the kid out of Connecticut that they got there. Oh, yeah. Travis uh, Travis Jones. Jones. Yeah. Travis, Travis is getting some run at the end of the year. Though, yeah. so. so, yeah, sign me up for that. Sign me up for that. I uh, I, I really like Tavondre Sweat. He he brings, he can play three downs. I don't know if he will immediately, but he's a three down player. I think he can rush the passer too, which is incredible. 
Yeah, he does give you a little bit more pass rush than you might get from. I mean, he's he is legit three sixty. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's he's not he's not like well, he's three thirty. No, he's three sixty. It's you can see it, but he does give you some un, unusual pass rush. There aren't really any one techs in this draft that are built like him or close to built like him, um, which is is impressive because he's he's unique. Um, and yeah, he would be awesome for us. I I I like the thought of trading back. If you trade back to let's say twenty five. You get your Graham Barton, Troy Fatano, Cooper Bebe. Then you come back and either go get your middle linebacker in the second round or get a Tavondre in the second round if he's dipped down there at that point. I yeah. think either makes a lot of sense. And uh, Tavondre, you move Jaron Reed, then behind him is your number two. Cam Young fits in as the number three. And now your interior is looking actually okay, especially if Leonard Williams is brought back with Draymond Jones and and uh, Mike Morris in the fray. That's that's not a bad interior defensive tackle position set up as far as the um, – yeah. The talents goes it, there. It's it's a real defensive line. That's right. It's we legit. Did not really have last year. We didn't have the depth for it. <laughs> not for a while, I would say. Have we not had a real defensive line, Brennan? It's been it's been a couple years. You know what I mean? It's been a couple years. But uh, yeah, I love Tavondre Sweat. He you're not going to move him off the spot. Double teams. One of the rare one techs who can hold up at the point of attack with one yeah. with double team blocks. You're just not moving a man of this size and this power. Like Brendan said, he can also give you some real unusual pass rush where you you allowed him to be one on one against a center. He's going to bull rush that guy into the pocket in like two seconds. He, you cannot ask your center to hold up on him in one on one in pass protection. He's just too big, too strong, and uh, he can he'll he'll work his way back there quick. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I, I would Tavondre is one of my guys in this draft. They're going to be you know we're both going to have like five or six guys that are just our guys, and mm -hmm. I can already tell you. There's something about Tavondre that's different from even a guy like Mozzie Smith, who was a first round pick last year. This guy's different. Yeah, because Mozzie Smith was a was a one tech and a three tech body. This this is a a one tech with some three tech scale to him, almost. Yeah. And a one and a one tech that's like you're as big and monstrous as they come in his size, but yet still with some of that ability to give you that pass rush, which you just don't ever usually get with those one techs. They're just trash cans that sit there and stare at things. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's all they do yeah yeah try to look like they're running fast when they're not even yeah. moving and and no disrespect to those players but maybe the modern nfl is starting to move away from that a little bit i, I think it definitely is i you where these guys now have to start to move a little bit more in space and i think that's why we saw that like that kid out of baylor last year that was that one tech that a lot of people really loved but yeah. he kept Ika, he kept dropping through the process because people were like, yeah, but he's rotational and he can just kind of only be out there for a couple snaps and he's just, he can't move left to right more than a couple couple steps to have any impact on the play. I mean, you kind of need more than that. Um, and that, I think, caused him to drop a bit more than that would have if it was a draft from 15 years ago, Brendan, where that guy probably would have been a first-round pick. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Butler, thank you for another $5 donation. Appreciate the double donation, Jessica. Says, do you know if we have heard if McDonald is bringing any players with him from Baltimore? Well, that would be illegal for him to talk about right now. That's called tampering. That's uh, how they got Magic Johnson out of uh, Los Angeles. That's exactly right. That's exactly uh, right. Remember that uh, he went on like what was it, Jimmy Kimmel, and talking about Paul George and the Thunder, who had him at the time. We're like, wait a minute, he can't do that. He's still on our team. I do remember that. Yeah, they yeah. got him. They they find him pretty heavily for that. Yeah, it was it was bad, which is why you know uh, if if you don't know how to be a front office executive, you shouldn't be a front office executive. No, 
no it's mm -hmm. you got to be you got to be careful with it that's magic yeah. too magic can't help himself you know he just yeah. he, he wants to talk and he wants to let the cat out the bag he's always been kind of that way with it yeah but um i'm sure he's going to bring in a couple guys um that's usually how this goes right you go to a different team there's one or two players you want to bring just so you're establishing a little bit of familiarity yeah, Jessica, I think uh, the, the Van Noy one, I think if you're just talking about one that makes a lot of sense because he'll be super cheap, knows the defense, vet presence you bring in here, especially if you move on from a Bobby Wagner, having a Van Noy in the in the house might not be the worst you know thing to have. Uh, Clowney's got familiarity being here in Seattle once before, and he will be a free agent. And certainly I think that that could make some sense, though he may not like the fact that he wouldn't be necessarily assigned to be the starter because you've got Uchenna and Boye that are your number one and twos at that point out there. But um Hard to say on the other guys, Jessica. It's Patrick Queen and Geno Stone are potentially options, depending on if Seattle wants to spend the money for both those two guys. But uh, he, like Brendan said, I think he'll bring some guys in who it is. A little too early to tell at this point. Um, but somebody will probably come over from that. A couple of guys will probably come over that Baltimore team, knowing how to run the defense, yeah. how to show the other players how to run it. Yeah, it could even be somebody really low level, like a Rocky Sin. That's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, something cheap doesn't have necessarily be one of the big front runner guys. It could be one of the just, you know, guys on kind of the fringe of the roster or third on the depth chart, but know the system backwards and forward and all that stuff. Yeah. Thank you, though, Jessica. I'm anticipating somebody. Certainly would love to see Clowney brought back. I never wanted to see him leave. Yeah. Uh, Mega Lucario, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, would you, would Mike rather re-sign Leonard or sign Matabuke? Ah, uh, I mean, Matabuke is much younger. Well, I mean, it, yeah. Has Matabuke, I mean, I mean, is this Matabuke's first really good year or was he good last year? Five and a half sacks the previous year. Um, okay. He was, okay. I mean, he was, he was solid coming into that role. I mean, it's it solid. Yeah. I mean, he could be like a kind of a one hit one year wonder still, right? I kind of feel yeah. like we're not there yet. Leonard Williams is not a one-year wonder. No. I mean, four years in the league, he's had one year of that he jumped up of dominance in a contract year. You know, one might say that that in itself is a little bit of a warning sign on looking at a guy like that. First, like you say with Leonard Williams, who has been a consistent player throughout the course of his career. Is he a star, Leonard? No. But do you know exactly what you're getting with Leonard Williams? And again, there will be a difference in cost. I know you mentioned that you don't think you'll get the Quinn and Williams money, but I mean... Aaron Donald's taken the high high end of the salary train for a for a basically a three tech defensive tackle to $34, $35 million, right? $33 million, something like that is where he's at as far as the high end goes. Mm -hmm. Um cost is only going up on this. The the, the 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 rate's going up on this. So we're last year, 23, 24 million is what the top end defensive tackle is going to get, which I think is what round LeBron Payne got. Yeah. Matamuke probably gets 20. Yeah. And if Leonard Williams gets 15. I know I'm a little bit different on this. On the, it's weird, Brendan. I'm a bit on the. We're both, I think, on the opposite ends of this with the Queen to Brooks debate because this is a bit of the inverse of the Brooks Queen debate. Where I don't want to go with Brooks, but I want to go with Queen. I don't want to go with not, even with Queen. I'm not sure. Of, like I'm, I might be okay just drafting a guy, but with Leonard, I'd rather go this route because I know what I'm getting with Leonard. No injury history. The cost will be five million dollars lower with Brooks. You do have that injury history, and with Matabuki, it's you're paying all of the price for the last season, and you don't know if that's exactly what you're getting going forward. Yeah, I think I come down on the Leonard Williams side of things, but I can understand the other perspective somewhat, I think. It's not out of pocket. No, I, I do get it. I do get it if somebody wants to prefer the younger guy, especially when the money is 
you know, I think 15 to 20 is though. I think Matabuki maybe gets the four year deal, whereas Leonard gets the three on the other yeah, side of that too. That's significant. But then the, the question comes down to Brennan. If you're giving a four year 20 to Matabuki, would you maybe just prefer to give three and 26 to Chris Jones? Hmm. How old is Chris Jones now? 30. Huh. Chris Jones is better than Leonard Williams, so at a certain point you probably go that way. But I don't think Leonard Williams is going to push past twenty million like that. I don't think. I, I think he's going to end up. I, I think he's gonna. What did I say? I made a video about this. I said somewhere around sixteen mil a year. That's right. I think. Okay, so four years, four years, twenty on Matabuke, or three and twenty six on Chris. Ooh. I guess you got to go Chris Jones at that point. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Matabuke, but no. the possibility still exists that he's like a product of the system and a one-hit wonder. Yeah, like I think that's far more likely for a player like Matabuke than even like a like a like a Geno Smith. Some people were saying that after 2022, Geno Smith could be a one-hit wonder, and I was like, I don't think that really happens with quarterbacks that much, especially not no. like this. But no. a guy like Matabuke in the Raven system with McDonald doing all the stuff that he's doing, he could just be a random guy who was right place, right time. Agree. And I would go the same way you go in that too. I that that would be preference Leonard. I'd go three twenty-six on Chris too and call it a day with that on that side of it. So be interesting to see what Chris gets on the open market because he's still coming off a good year, but getting older and doesn't seem like the Chiefs have got quite the money maybe to spend on him because mm -hmm. they've just haven't gotten him locked in there. But mm -hmm. great question, Mega. Great question, man. Uh Leland Kimball, thank you for becoming a member of the channel. On my side or his side. I'm not sure which either one that, but thank you for that. Appreciate thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Leland. Daniel Bailey says, does Kobe Bryant have a place in this defense? I mean, we played him a little bit at safety at the end of the year, but it was a very small sample size. I can't really do anything with that. So I think we're just going to have to wait and see on this one, see what uh, McDonald can do with him. There, there's mm -hmm. got to be some way to tap into that. He's such a good fumble forcer. <laughs> He's got that, you know, peanut Tillman stuff going on. You got to find a way to work that in. It's way too valuable. Well, you felt good enough to make him as a tackler to get him out the slot, get him to safety. Um, we're needing the corners to now tackle in this defense more. Um, I've got worries with Tariq Woolen and Trey Brown, both <coughs> Brendan, I, I, and both these two guys. When Mike McDonald comes in and, and looks at both those two guys, I think that there's – well, I don't think it's a, a likelihood that they get traded. I think that there's definitely going to be a consideration in the building on both of what would be the trade market on either of these two guys in another place because – I don't think Trey Brown's getting substantially better as a tackler, and I'm not sure on Trey. Tariq Woolley's got the size to do it um, if he can yeah. get better in his technique. Where Trey Brown's just 5'9", and I just don't know if out the outside he can just get it done sometimes with his height. But maybe the, the answer here, Daniel, is slide Kobe back into the outside position, outside corner. You know, he was – outside of the fumbles caused, he wasn't really a success on the inside and coverage as a slot. As a safety, if you go through any of the games he played going back to the preseason or even the small sample sizes that he got to play during the year at safety, he did not perform well when put in those situations to play. So I think go back and take him, put him back in the place where he was a two-time All-ACC cornerback, where he was the Walter Thorpe Award winner. Let's move him back to the outside corner and see if he can be functional out there in that way, out there, because it's just it's not looking like it's working to me on the on the other positions. Yeah, but um, obviously a new defensive coach means there's a possibility of uh, flipping things around and may maybe they tap into something that we just didn't see these first two years. I mean, he has missed a lot of time this most recent year. He was hurt, so. 
we didn't get to see development. It's true. And we don't know where maybe Mike McDonald's outlook was of him coming out of the draft either. Maybe he saw him as an outside corner coming out. Like, what? You guys haven't met slot? What? You haven't met or you know, maybe or he thinks the opposite. You guys should have him at safety. That's his that's his skill set. That's where he's gonna fit best long term. So put him right. there. You know, and yeah. there could be a pull to that because of the fact that you might get light at safety with Adams Diggs gone. And you only got Julian Love, a Jarek Reed coming off of a torn ACL and uh Kobe Bryant and that's it, isn't it? Uh, there's the uh, Penn State special teamer guy, Sutherland, I think. Okay. That's, so that's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, you know, that, that might also push a little bit of this too, Daniel, but uh, they just got to stop bopping him around. Get him on a position, let him learn the position, let him get good to the position and see if he can flourish in that position. That'd be my, uh, that'd be my approach to it. Um, any other stuff on this hire, Brendan? Uh, I guess, let me do this. Let's do It's like we would do with the scoring of the deal. Grade this hire for me. I think that as far as hirings go, this is a 10. I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I would have preferred an offensive head coach, I guess. But I'm also glad we didn't get so lost in that philosophy that we decided to hire somebody who wasn't nearly as good. Mm-hmm. Um, he says all the right things in the uh, press conference. His resume is really good. Uh, the only thing you can say is that he hasn't done it before. And if he had done it before, you probably wouldn't be able to get him because he probably would still have whatever job he got because he's probably going to be good. Like, let's be real here. He's probably good. There's no yeah. guarantees. I mean, um, go go look at, uh, you know, Sean McVay's resume before he got hired by the Rams. It wasn't that good. He was yeah. an OC for three years and only one of those years was good. Yeah. Well, and if you could say too, if, if it's about getting the, the somewhat quasi legendary coach that's been a bangering around and you know what you're getting and he's got a tracker of success and maybe he's got a word or two here, but he's got some really good stuff. He does good. Or you knew you're getting the McVeigh type. You knew you're getting that guy who nobody knows what this guy's going to be, but he's going to be this. And we capture him. You take that first, you take that second option versus the first, you know, and, mm-hmm. and having that opportunity to take advantage of that guy's first real you know, we got ourselves a star here. You know, we got our we got our our uh, J Rod coming up out of the minors who just suddenly burst out into the pros. You know, and he's the real thing right from the jump. You know, I know there's a lot of fail rates, but there are also those guys, Brendan, that are like the McVeighs that come out there and they do flourish from the jump. They do come out and give you um, great coaching right on the onset of it. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to, you don't always have to need to have a bad first stop or a bad two seasons to kind of figure out all your bumps. You know, right. that's not always the way it has to work. But my number one was Harbaugh, who we were never going to hire. I think that's become pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my number two was Ben Johnson, and that for one reason or another didn't work out. Can't, can't. I mean, it's not like we lost him to another team. He just straight up uh, was like, I guess I'm going back to Detroit. Yeah. to win the Super Bowl. Um. So I think you did the best thing you could. So I can't really say anything negative about it. No. And uh, I would grade the same way, A, 10, whichever metric you want to use on that. I think it's an A grade, Brendan. They took a thorough process. They hired the best candidate like you. I wanted an offensive guy, but it wasn't, you know, what stands out to me about Mike McDonald and about what they did this situation is what I kind of apply my own thought process on this is this isn't about a rigidity of approach. This is about all available options, all hands on deck, all possibilities, and consider each and every one kind of through and then arrive at the best answer. And if you do that, then there's a really good chance of success. As we started off and talked at the tar- start of the show tonight, Brendan, there's no guarantees for success in, in the NFL or any sports in your decisions and moves you make. You can just set the set it all up, set the table up, and then hope that the meal is going to go well. 
and uh, you know that not, nobody's going to get poisoned. And uh, I think the Hawks have done that here to to the, the ultimate degree. So props to Jody Allen for pulling the pulling the trigger on this to get this done with Carroll in the first place. Props to Schneider for uh, going in and making what is a really really strong great hire and a uh, forward thinking hire, and um, hopefully should be a successful hire. Yeah. We got uh, suspicious stench uh, finishing us up here tonight with another two dollar donations. I think that's uh, Leland Kimball yeah, changed his name. Suspicious. Yeah. Uh, love the new name, uh, Leland. Says I'm glad we went with the defensive head coach and Niners kryptonite. Well, yeah. If the Niners, well, actually, if the Niners win the Super Bowl in a couple weeks here, do you think mm -hmm. we get the Week One Thursday night football game against them with our new brand new head coach? Huh. Where do we go? We go through the AFC. Um, no, they'll go with like that. We play. I think that the, they'll probably go with like the Bills, Niners, Bills, mm, Niners at home, okay. something like that, because they play the AFC East next year. So okay. it'll be, I think, something like that. There'll be a draw, maybe a little bit to it, but I think they'll think now nah, well, we we can get a bigger ratings boost with the, you know. I mean, hell, they might they might even be in a rematch with uh, Kansas City again, you know, with the way that those three oh, games yeah. work outside the deal. So it's kind of strange that how that goes, but it can go that way too. But um, I think suspicious. I was thinking about this with Mike Vay, and I don't think this is the part we talk about with Sean McVay much, Brendan. But this is part of this process was McVay was brought in to slay the coach Carroll. That's one of the big reasons he was brought in. Yeah, it's bright upcoming mind, but the offense that he was going to bring was going to be built to take a, take apart and go after this Coach Carroll defense specifically. And so going out there and finding a guy who's got a defense that's well-built to to go out these kind of offensive attacks, this is a little bit as well. We were talking about the top Leland of defenses maybe starting to come a little bit more forward and taking some steps to maybe they're not catching up to the offense, but maybe they're, they're catching a couple steps up. You know, the offense still remains far out ahead, but maybe they're, they're making some, some headway for the first time in a real long time. And this guy, the way that he shut down that Niners offense, he makes Brock Purdy have to think. Brock doesn't get to just drop back there and go through one read and go to a second read, and it's all bump, bump, bump. It's, okay, I think I'm seeing this. Drop back. Oh, God, I didn't see that right. Uh, throw it. Panic. You know? And the same thing from Shannon Style. And so the predictability, the understanding what I'm going to see pre to post snap, that's thrown out the window now. And now you complete, you, you can you create complete utter confusion for them. Think about what McVay did with Goff. I'm going to get you up to the line of scrimmage with 20 seconds left to be in your ear and tell you, okay, the defense is in a, we got Seattle right now in a cover three look. It's off coverage, Jared. So just hit the over route now, Jared. Okay. Hit the over route on the X because they're in cover three. Okay. Jared does a little nod, you know, like he's nodding to nobody. You know, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Now he comes up the line of scrimmage. It's cover three, but McVay can't sit there and be in the way. Well, it's a, uh, read after the snap, you know, that's what you now bring, and it's in stark difference to what we were before, Brendan. I mean, we're going from the most unpredictable with the coverage set to the most uh, the most predictable, the most unpredictable now. And that's part of the reasons why I think we're going to get some immediate returns here on this team into next season that we that some people aren't taking into account. Everybody's doing it on that kind of how much talent do we have, who's the OC is going to be. But some of it to me is just that stuff you've left on the table of those little advantages that are there to just – all you got to do is grab them. They're right there just going – it ain't like you got to be super smart to take advantage of them. Just – Pull them into your bag, you know, take them off the table and bring them into your bag. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I I mean, it felt like we never had a coaching advantage in any game over the last several years, which is a terrible position to be in. It really is. 
And I, I can't help but think that too, when it comes to players, you eventually, when you're having that based on a yearly basis, that wears you down, knowing that you have to overcome that on a weekly basis. Another thing that should hopefully boon up the psyche and mentality of the players, understanding that there's going to be times on a given week so that we will outcoach the opposing's opposition on X's and O's. We'll put them in that position where we'll we'll catch them with their pants down. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's going to be an exciting year. Suspicious Stench, Leland Kimball. I thank you for that uh, $2 donation. Uh, finishes it off here and finishes it off right. Do me a favor, folks. And if you could for me, please hit that like button. I really would appreciate it. Me and Brendan will, of course, be doing these shows throughout the course of this offseason. We've got a lot of action lined up next week. We pushed the show off this week, but next week we will be taking a look at the uh, salary cap cuts yep. and where we've got to trim, where we got to cut, who we got to keep, how we can save money, how we can maximize our savings. Maybe Brendan and I will go hog wild. We'll say, you guys want to go for next year? You want to go all in? I know you, we've got people talking about taking to the studs. What if we go the opposite direction? Yeah. What if we go all in? So uh, we'll take it end to end with you guys on that. And we'll look at either either side of this. And certainly the Hawks are turning it over in uh, in a similar fashion. Uh, please hit that like button today on this video if you could, as well as if you're not subscribed, get subscribed to Hawks Nest and Seahawks Brendan Nelson as uh, we do uh, constant work throughout this offseason. Ain't no offseason on either of these two channels, especially when there is so much excitement at play as we go into this offseason. So uh, thank you guys for watching. I really do appreciate you, Brendan. Thank you for coming on in the house here, man, and chopping it up, man. It's a it's a bright Thank day. Thank you for bro. having me on, man. Thank you for having me on. Can't wait to do it again. I think this is going to be a lot of fun going through uh, this team and looking at this team, and it's going to be a funner team to kind of analyze and what they're doing because there's going to be a lot more of us looking at it going, wow, that's a smart approach. Wow, that's a smart approach. Wow, that's a smart – that's a breath of fresh air, Brennan. Breath of fresh yeah. air. Well, thank you, brother. Appreciate you guys watching today. We'll be back in a week to take a look at that salary cap situation and have a little bit more, of course, updates on the OCDC and talking that over too, no doubt about that. But until that time, I shouldn't have to remind you with a great, exciting hire like this. I shouldn't have to remind you with an ownership group and a front office that understands we've got to do better. Being mediocre, being getting into the back end of the playoffs, that is not what we've established here. We've established a championship mindset and you can call that a spoiled fan group. I call it an establishment of a mentality in place that we don't want broken, that we don't want to shy away from. This is what we want to lean into. And it seems like our front office and our ownership group is leaning in the same fashion that should get you hyped, that should get you excited. But just in case it does not, let me and Brendan remind you one more time as we finish this up. Please, by God, don't you ever forget. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.